Hello, boys and girls. Um, this is Christian, as usual. <laughs> so here we are for another episode of the True North podcast. Uh, I realized, like, after recording a couple intros that I uh, don't even say the name of the podcast ever. <laughs> like, I just start talking uh, and rambling. So anyways, yeah, this is the True North podcast. And if this is your first episode listening... Um, thank you for tuning in and we're excited and pumped to have you. So this is, uh, this podcast is going to be a conversation I had with a man named Alan Matheson. So Alan is, a he's a former firefighter chief, uh, of either, I think it's the St. George fire department, but could be the hurricane city fire department. Um, either way, he's got like this tremendous, uh, experience, life experience and, uh, absolutely blew my mind with this conversation. This this is probably this conversation opened up my mind a lot and changed my perspective a lot and and how I view uh, PTSD, how I um, view firefighters and first responders, and what those types of jobs even are and what they entail and, and what's required uh, in that service and what those people are put through and what they have to go through. It absolutely was horrifying in a way to see the reality of the situation because now I'm like looking back and seeing all these, these, you know, times I've seen a fire truck go by and I've never even really deeply considered what that means to have a fire truck or an ambulance, you know, you know, rush by you. It's like, yeah, we get it. We all get that there's an emergency happening or that there's some someone who needs help or a building bring, being burned down or something like that, right? But it's none of it's not in our immediate most of the time, unless you're like the one of the people at the scene or driving right by a horrific crash or something. Like most of the time, um, it's just a, a a passing thought. Oh, fire truck, better pull over, and then and then I'm gonna go out through the rest of my day, right? So that's the state I've been in, <laughs> at least. I'm describing myself. Um, and it was so surprising to uh, see the other side of it from the from what's going on and from the firefighters perspective. So he he was a fire. He was in the fire department for about 10 years, I believe, and quickly rose up through the ranks. It could have been longer. And I hope I'm not misquoting him by saying 10 years. But I believe he said he would serve from like 20 when he was 20 and then retired early in a medical retirement in 2003. Uh, he said he's 47. So. Uh, 17 years ago, right? Or yeah, 17 years ago. And so um, with that early, early medical retirement at 30, because of just the incredible amount of stress and pressure that that job put on his body and his mind and of being not just a firefighter, but the, the battalion commander. And so he was in charge of not only a lot of people as far as firefighters and that a whole organization is concerned, but he was concerned with the lives of tens or a hundred thousand people in a district area of Southern Utah that are relying on that service. So that's just an incredible amount of pressure, um, being in that position of heading up that whole, uh, system and organization and, and, um, infrastructure of all of those, those different teams of people who were volunteering or pretty much volunteering no matter what, no matter how you look at it, because even if they're receiving payment or compensation, I mean, the amount of, um, 
I don't even want to call it work. The, the amount of sacrifice that those types of people are going or are putting in or going through and giving it's, it's, um, it's hard to even quantify it with the dollar amount. And if you put their actual wages in as the quantifying factor, it's a joke. <laughs> it's an absolute, absolute joke to, to think that somebody should be going through that high intense, that highly intense, uh, you know, job, that job title is insanely, um, it's, it's, well, I'll just let Alan tell you <laughs> because it's, uh, is, is graphic is really graphic. And so, uh, this, there's a couple parts of this podcast where you might get a little squeamish, but, uh, we don't go into too much, you know, of the, of the horrific details, but it is, it is real. It's very real. And I think that's important. I think it's really important to talk about real shit, like real, real, uh, the reality, you know, the, the thing that's, that everyone wants to hide from and not acknowledge because someone's taking care of it. So because we have this, you know, position, this firefighter or this first responder, you know, or, you know, whoever, whoever it is that's in the situation doing it, um, they're, they're now the one that has to shoulder the burden of picking the bodies up or scraping the, the bodies off the road. And, you know, all of these, these things that are just realities of our modern society with 7 billion people. I mean, there's, there's going to be, I mean, I'm not saying it's not a safe time to be alive and a, and a great time to be alive. Honestly, there's, there's a lot of less risk in a lot of ways, but at the same for, you know, for an individual, but at the same time, there's just going to be the byproduct of this many people. You're, you know, you're going to run into a lot of death. That's just the nature of life. It's death and we're all going to die every single one of us. And it's funny because we find these elaborate ways of sort of hiding that fact and talking our way out of it. In fact, this came up um, on a little side tangent now, but this came up the other day. Um, I think I was listening to a podcast. Uh, yeah, it was, it's called, uh, what is it? It is Michael Shermer's podcast, Science Salon, I think. Yeah, Science Salon. And he had Christopher Ryan on there, who's a uh, one of my favorite authors, and he has another, probably my favorite podcast, uh, to be honest, it's called Tangentially Speaking. And so I highly recommend any of you who are curious, who want to be exposed to uh, interesting real shit, where it's not sugarcoated and it's it's real, but at the same time, it's just fascinating most of the time, like his conversations with people are, are great. And and uh, he's had, Christopher's had a big impact um, on my life, just in his work, just from what I've read, Sex at Dawn and uh, Civilized to Death are his two books that I've read, and they're both absolutely phenomenal. Um, so highly recommend Civilized to Death, his newer book, for a, a, a kind of a broad spectrum view at all of these byproducts of at an agricultural age and an industrial age and a modern age, and, and the state that humanity is in on Earth right now, and the the waning earth underneath that weight or the the you know it's 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 just kind of trying to bear the brunt of this incredible transformation of the planet that's you know considered the sixth the next uh, mass extinction event so the sixth uh extinction in the history of the earth the last one being the one that knocked out the um the dinosaurs about 60 million years ago i think but basically he's he's taking that kind of wide spectrum view at civilization and and it's so important to like zoom out a little bit and see it from that angle. I think it's so important. 
uh, and he brings in so many different interesting types of uh, of authorities, so to speak, like you know anthropology and evolutionary biology, and a lot of cool, really fascinating aspects of being human that you know people have gone and studied their whole lives, and it's really uh, cool perspective, I guess. And it's just written in such a way that's so super easy to read. So this isn't me plugging his book because I'm going to sell it to you. Like there's no special link or anything like that. Uh, I haven't even met Chris in person, even though I'm sure I will someday because he's, uh, he's always <laughs> traveling around. And so next time he comes through Southern Utah, I'll definitely try to rendezvous with him and maybe potentially do a podcast with him. That would be a, a fuck. That'd be a good dream come true for me. But basically, um, <laughs> this is me on another side tangent. So to take it back to what he was saying on Michael Schirmer's podcast, I believe they were talking about this trying this avoidance of death and how our society um hides it as best as we can and so it's i mean think about like our dying process well first of all the very and he talks about this in civilized to death but the very worst thing that can happen from a medical perspective in our society is death so we do everything we can to avoid that right so even if it means dragging out a painful long dying process uh, and and spending weeks living on machines off of you know subsiding off of artificial lungs and all these different things because our body's just gone it's it's on its way out and our, our, we can't see that as an okay option to just acknowledge that and to greet death instead of hi, you know shirk away and hide from it and 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 pretend like it's not going to happen and then after we drag out this this long horrible, lonely dying process, because most of this dying is happening in a, like a, uh, assisted living facility for most people where they're, they're not really even around even their family. They're just being cared for by strangers, um, because we've monetized everything in, in our civilization, in our society, we've, we've monetized every single thing. So the things that used to be completely ubiquitous and free, and, and, and you just got it from the tribe or the community, things like child care and elderly care, things that the community just did for each other, and it was acknowledged because we all have each other's back, because we're the same tribe, we're the same community, we all live together, right? It's like, I know, I don't just know my neighbor's names, but I actually go and uh, my kids play with their kids, and if they ever need anything, I mean, and we, we play with each other, not just the kids. Like we all play with each other because that's what we're here to do, right? Is have a good time. And so, um, <laughs> sorry for diving back deeper into each, each time I touch on something uh, from that conversation or from his book, it just seems to drag me down this kind of corridor towards that topic because it, all of them are so important and, and they're so uh, relevant right now. So anyways, this, this uh, avoidance of death we, and we have these, these coffins that are like still or, you know, still lined and they're, they're, they're these boxes that are supposed to protect us from nature. Okay, so let's break that idea down for a second. What the fuck? <laughs> protect us from nature as if we're not nature uh, and as, as if we're not going to die and as if, as if it doesn't ever come to an end at some point. Like, so two, two truths, I think, that are important to acknowledge that are obvious if you just look around. One is we are inseparable from nature. There's no such thing as a human being not in nature or of nature or from nature or as nature. That is 100% all of the 
examples of a human being that we know of <laughs> or that we can, can, uh, can uh, rationalize about or, or talk about. It's all natural. 100% of it's natural. Um, it, and and there's, this, there's this weird sort of seeing like this model of the universe is seeing the earth as an artifact, as something that had life breathed, or as man as an artifact, as like this, this clay model that had something of like breathed into it from a creator. And because of that like story, it makes it seem like the environment is just something that we were put here, like to, like it's just where we were placed, but it's just temporary. So it's not really a home. It's like this probationary state while we're waiting for the uh, to transcend this state to something better in this next life or in an afterlife, which can be a scary idea because then it starts to make people, well, not really be living for this time, like right now, this very moment that you're listening to my voice now. This is the time we should be living in, 100%, like be in the now, be here now, as Ramdas would say, which is just a beautiful, simple way to think about it. That's like the best model to live by, in my opinion. Just be here now. And when you are truly here, when you find presence and when you cultivate things like a, like a meditation practice or something like yoga, which is a meditation practice, or floating, which can be a meditation practice, or anything that, that helps you, a lot of people, it's uh, different. But cultivating that presence, that state of just being present um, is absolutely essential because that's what's going to heal our planet that's what's going to heal us uh, as individuals it's being present with the pain being present with the situation that we're currently in and as soon as you're present with it and it becomes a reality to you uh, then you can move beyond that right like you can you can change your reality so Anyways, this whole idea of, of running from death <laughs> to tie it back to tie it back into originally the firefighter story. It's just it's just we shuffle it off into this this uh, category. It's like this thing that is taken care of by someone else, and we we try to avoid it at all costs. And then we protect the body and we put it in the ground like nature's not going to eat it. Like everything that goes into the ground doesn't just turn back into the ground. Every single thing that's ever gone into the ground will turn. It just turns. It just fast forward a little bit. Like if you think, yeah, sure, this coffin's gonna keep this body preserved for what? I mean, a thousand years till everything's like uh, ten thousand years. Like however long it takes. Like it's not. It's not that long. <laughs> it's not ten thousand years, where it just oxidizes and everything turns to dust. So it's like. Um, it's hard to find fossils from that long ago. Like the, the situations for those things to be preserved is it's pretty rare for it to be preserved for a really long time. So my, my point is, is everything gets decomposed and turned back to dust. So what the fuck's the point of trying to protect it from happening? Are you going to come check on this body later and make sure it's still in good shape? No, we, we, we keep the bodies buried. Nobody wants to acknowledge the fact that they're down there and that they're or, or not, I shouldn't say acknowledge the fact that we're definitely acknowledging it and we still, we still have the ceremony of putting them in the ground. But it's in Mormonism, at least my background that I grew up in with a Christian worldview, it's putting this coffin in the ground to, uh, and then we're going to bless this ground and we're going to ask it to be protected, protected from the elements like 
like it's some sort of thing we can hold back with our prayer. We're just going to stop the ground from eating this body. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, better hold up both hands for that one. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not trying to make light of people's beliefs, but when you break it down like that, it's it's a strange one because nature is God. So to ask God not to eat this body and like that's just the ego's way of surviving into the next life. So the ego sitting here, fearful of death, fearful of not existing. Because all an ego is, is just you reaffirming yourself that you exist and you telling yourself this elaborate story about who you are. That is just, that's the narrative, that's the ego. And it wants that narrative to transcend this death process that everyone has to go through and go to the next life. And we're, we're terrified about the idea of that not being me later or me not existing after this. Which is such a strange fear to have, but it's endemic in our society everyone it's like inherently just woven in um <laughs> and i'm i'm rambling a bit because i well honestly because i'm high <laughs> i smoked uh i smoked some of this beautiful um vape pen from from a dis or dispensary in las vegas and the uh the combination is perfect it's like a one-to-one -one cbd to thc split which is like perfect for me but um Anyways, <laughs> this conversation on the podcast was was uh, was eye opening to me, and it and it just reminded me and when when I was talking to Alan, uh, and how much we're putting certain individuals through to handle this well emergency of death, right? So uh, he's been to a he's been to a lot of <laughs> a lot of shit, and this was a really eye opening conversation so i hope that others can gain something from it as well um especially if you know any firefighter friends first responder friends anyone who's really been through any significant trauma i'm not even talking about just first responders at this point so anyone any veterans or anyone um who's been even sexually abused or or abused in some way and had that kind of trauma happen um just the, the whole the whole concept of of trauma that we cover is, um, I think, an important, really important topic to bring to light. And also, um, well, I'll just shut the fuck up about all that and let you let you get to it. Uh, before I do, there was a couple things, little housekeeping items that I should probably plug here. Um, so yeah, if you want to, oh yeah, so in this in this podcast, uh, we actually talk about CBD oil a little bit as uh, one of the things that Alan uses to treat pain and anxiety and trauma and stuff. And um, I actually sent him home with a bottle of this uh, CBD oil with from an American shaman, which is, uh, I'm sure you guys have probably seen him if you're here in southern Utah. There's a few American shaman CBD stores now. They're really good, uh, really, really good CBD. And I've been using them for a while, probably almost two years now. I, I think I got my first bottle of it right before I went to Asia and I traveled with it. And it's, yeah, it's really good shit. And their new stuff's even better. Their newer stuff because it's water soluble. So it kicks in in like 30 seconds. And so we talk about that a little bit. Um, I'm considering selling this stuff out of my float center. Definitely uh, trying to, I've been trying all of their products, ordered a bunch of their stuff and I've been trying it all. And so 
it's good stuff. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it if it wasn't something I tried personally and liked it and, um, saw really good results. So if you do want to buy any, I can plug a link here. So it's cbdamericanshaman.com. And then just, if you want slash true north, and that would just throw a, us a kickback or a commission if you buy anything from, it'll just throw that to me but that's a slash true north and if you use promo code when you check out use promo code true north um and that will give you 20 percent off it's a little bone for for both of us <laughs> just kidding <laughs> no so anyways um yeah that's it and we also talk a lot about floating in this one and we also talk so 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 if uh you're you're new to the idea of floating this would be a great episode as well because i go into <clears throat> my first ever experience with edibles in the float tank and, and how it absolutely changed several aspects of my life for the better so um and i'm not saying that you have to we, we also talk about floating in a myriad of other ways you don't have to do edibles to get the benefits but anyways it's interesting for that and then um, we also talk a lot about opiate use uh withdrawal effects of that anyone dealing who's on opiates or dealing with the dependency with opiates which is so many people now um this could be a really eye-opening conversation for you as well so um really really happy and stoked that alan did this podcast i mean i met him and he was just after one conversation he was so enthused to reach out and get this get this happening and make this podcast take place because he really just deeply wants to help people. Uh, and I can tell that I can feel that just by meeting him and talking to him for a couple hours. Um, it's, it's really refreshing and, and beautiful to see people with that kind of, uh, selflessness. Um, that, that being said, he's, he's put himself through the ringer as a result of a lot of that giving. And so it's time for, uh, us to give back, you know, and that's, that's something that I've realized is like, uh, I was I was kind of nervous about trying to launch this float center and <clears throat> you know like who am I gonna who am I gonna market it to? I'm gonna market it to like baby boomers who are who are gonna be you know probably dealing with more chronic pain and that kind of stuff. Um, but they probably are gonna be less likely to want to try something new like floating, which is totally contrary to what they're used to seeing in medicine. So. Um, you know, I, I went through that whole sort of dilemma in my mind and thinking about how I'm going to market it to people like Mormons who might see it as something that's, you know, anti-religion in some way, like that getting in a float tank might question your faith or something like that. I don't, I don't know, uh, because uh, maybe because people who float start to leave the church. <laughs> I don't know if that happens, but it's happened to me. Uh, I mean, I left before the church, but when I when I started floating, or, sorry, what I'm trying to say is I left the church before I before I got into floating. But when I when I started floating, it it shifted something in me where now for some reason or other, and I'm still not quite sure 100 percent why, but it just made me have to be more vocal about it. Uh, like like that it was something that conversations that need to be had needed to be had so that others who were in the either a similar transitionary phase or we're considering or whatever could get access to uh, vital information, I guess. And, you know, just talk about it, get, get it as a conversation that's not taboo. So, um, yeah, anyways, in, in, in that whole dilemma with marketing this business, 
then I just had this, you know, interaction with Alan and I was instantly like, oh, this is obvious. I don't have to even worry about any of that shit. I just need to bring it to the people who really need it. And as far as I can tell, the the people who need it the most, (laughs) well, at least one category of people who need it the most, it's uh, first responders and firefighters just based off of uh, what the reality of their jobs and stuff. So it's like incredibly stressful and the burnout rates are high. And so that's, uh, I mean, I'm just going to hopefully let it unfold organically and let, uh, or bring floating to the people who, who are desperately in need. And that's something that would just make me the happiest man on earth to be able to help people like that. Um, so yeah, anyways, um, I'm going to roll this podcast. Uh, it's, it's a really, like I said, fascinating, mind blowing convo. And I'm, I, I, I know I'm going to have another conversation with Alan in the future. Uh, once he's kind of had an opportunity to float a lot more and just see how it's helped him and how he's progressed. Cause this is such an awesome testimonial for floating. Anyways, uh, I'm going to peace out. What we've got here is failure to communicate. What do you mean by the word I? So I'm here with uh, Alan, and I'm saying this right, Matheson? That is correct. Matheson, okay. Um, Met Alan just a week or so ago, um, and I'll I'll intro you a little bit later, or or earlier, I should say. I'll I'll clip it in in the beginning. But um, you just have some really just fascinating history and real survivor stories, and we've just been going over it a little bit now. But um, just to give people a little bit of an introduction as to how you got to where you're at now um and let's get kind of a broad view of just you know without diving too deep into any of the stories right away yeah just so we kind of you figure out who we're talking about okay so at 20 years old i made one of the dumbest decisions i could have possibly made being six five i decided to join the fire department Uh, that means picking big fat people off of the ground when you're (laughs) six five and I had already had a history of back injuries, so it, it just exasperated um, it just exasperated the issue from there on. But uh, I joined the fire department when I was 20, and six years later, I ended up being promoted to uh, captain, um, the youngest in our department history, and they believe in the state of Utah. But so what age were you at captain? Like, I was promoted at 26. To captain, okay. Yeah, and then immediately became the medical officer and became responsible for all training. For... Wow, that's a huge responsibility. Yeah, it was. I mean, I'm 27 and I. It was a lot. I've never had anything like that kind of responsibility. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was an acting bat chief, though they paid me a captain's wage, and I'm meeting with all the county, the state, the local law enforcement, with all the hospitals, with the owners of the hospitals. So big money, big people. Um, Helped co-author a couple of books, um, wrote all the protocols and things like that. And I was one of those rare firefighters 
a lot of guys are really, they don't like to run medical calls. Okay. But I found as much passion in medicine as I did in fighting fire. So if there was anything I didn't understand, I wanted to know. So I was getting certifications as an EMT basic that are only actually allowed for doctors and for nurses. So I was getting advanced cardiac life support, uh, pediatric advanced life support, things like that that aren't even available. Um, So that just kind of gives you an idea uh, mostly of my drive uh, and stupidity. Uh, the, (laughs) The biggest thing was I did not know when to stop. If it was there and it had to be done, it just had to be done. And unfortunately, that led to uh, some of the injuries that I imagine you're going to talk about. Yeah. But ultimately, it ended up with me being medically retired instantly on January 9th, 2003. With uh, I would go to a plus three enlargement on my heart, lose 20% of my lung function. Liver would almost shut down completely. Kidneys would shut down muscular skeletal system just destroyed uh, went from 65 to 47 percent body fat to not being able to put on my shirt wow. literally in a week wow so i want to i want to figure I go dive into that and see you know flesh that story out a bit but uh, what was it that you would say was was your drive the driving force that that because I, I know a lot of people who were I should say similar, not the same, but similar in the sense that, you know, they put their bodies just on the line yeah. and, and they're, they're, they, they drag themselves through the, the crucible, right, of all these different just crazy, crazy things and, and, and life goes on and, and it's just punishing. Um, and there's usually some sort of driving force like you're doing it, I don't know, for your family or you're doing it for some, some other thing. It's usually like outside of yourself, right? right? So right. what would you say was kind of the main motivation that led you into this situation in yeah. the first place? That's actually a, a really insightful question because there are a lot of people who are firefighters who are in love with the idea of being a firefighter. Yeah. The job itself is an absolute bitch. But it, it is, is kind of sexy when you compare it to oh, yeah. you know, other yeah. jobs. Yeah, it is, it is sexy. The hero. Yeah, and you definitely do get the whistles. And, you know, I was ravishingly good-looking and tall and all blinged out in all my uniform. And, of course, you get all the whistles when you're driving the big trucks. Yeah. And all the cops envy you. Uh, everybody does, pretty much. But my driving force was um, I, I've always felt this compelling desire to sacrifice myself for others. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where it came from. And I'm not going to get into a whole lot of particular events or narrative of my life. But when I was very young, um, it was, let's see, uh, two months after I got on the job, uh, we got called out at 0117, January 13th. So however many years ago, I can still remember the date. And it was a gentleman who had been run over by a semi one way and then backed over the other way. They didn't see him. So we found him with his legs curled up around his arms and hit him so, sorry, up around his head. But it hit him so hard, the bones will actually break out of the body. And my first memory was hands and knees with a big flashlight in a snowstorm walking around looking for bone fragments. So at 20, that's a pretty big eye-opener that what you're doing is not making bread. No, that's a 
That's trauma. Yeah, yeah, that's that's real life. That's, that's ugly. That's trauma. I mean, obviously trauma for the man who. I mean, I don't know if he survived, but he the did man, not. He did not survive. No. Okay, but but responders are absolutely seeing. I mean, that's a war zone. That's trauma. It, it is. Yeah. What we see is absolutely no different uh, than what any of our soldiers see, with the exception that when you go to war, you expect to be at war. You don't expect to see these things in your own home. Yeah. And that's the psychological difference. Right. When you're dealing with a riot, multiple gunshot wounds, when you're dealing with multiple stab wounds, but it's in your neighborhood, it's in your house. It happens during your Christmas dinner, during Thanksgiving. It so puts there's a no whole different. There's no real escape from it, right? None. It's like it's like you're in the war zone or you're not, but in reality, you're talking about always being in it because yeah. it can call a call can come in and you're, Absolutely. you're always in it. Absolutely, yeah. very. I never thought of it that way. That is a different kind of just passive sort of anxiety or stress that's yeah. always weighing on you. Yeah, and it it takes a toll. Um, according to the Department of Labor and Statistics, the average life expectancy of a paramedic is seven years. That's how long they can take it before they bolt. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, I'll <laughs> also is, tell you... That is unbelievable. The first seven years that I worked, we I had a fatality or multiple fatalities every single Christmas, every single Thanksgiving that I worked for the first seven years. And I worked all of them. Wow. So we had everything from suicides to cardiac arrests. We're going in and families are sitting down at dinner and I'm yanking the grandfather out into the middle of the of the floor to work on him. Another one I remember in particular had uh, gone down behind the the commode. Here's all of his family, grandkids, everything. We're doing everything we can to protect his dignity, but this is not a time. It's just yank out and yeah. CPR isn't what you see on Baywatch. Right. It's, it is brutal and yeah. ugly. Yeah. And, and they usually void their bowels, and it's unpleasant for everybody. But I see. But at that point, it's priority one is save yeah, his life. It's not. It's not. To, we're not there to play around. Yeah. So yeah, you're absolutely right in in picking up on the toll. And and like I said, the difference is, war zone you expect it, hospital you expect it, but in your own kitchen in your own front room when it's yeah. your own parents or child or whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had parents so panicked that when their children were choking, I just got within a few steps. They opened the door and throw the kid right at me. Wow. Just like expecting me to catch like it. Help, yeah. Like, please. Yeah. Anything. <laughs> yeah. Absolute panic. And yeah. that kid lived by the way, just wow. fine. So the, the big one that did it for me was I was riding a motorcycle at the time. It was brutally fast. It was a CBR F3. And you I were was what age at this point? Uh, let's see, I would have been 20. Okay, so this is right at the beginning of your firefighting right career. Right Yep. Yeah. Uh, I got it that spring after, uh, yeah, it was like four months. Later, yeah, yeah, this months is later. funny because you're describing my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> you're describing probably, my, my cousin Amy. Who, probably get crazier, yeah. Yeah, she's and she's got like that really just fiery, hard-headed, you know. It, it gets, I know it sounds crazy. We're not adrenaline junkies, but you can't shut off the adrenaline. And the best way that I can describe what we deal with is uh, go and stand in front of your favorite roller coaster and you get that, you get the goosebumps, you get the butterflies, you get everything because you know what's going to happen. But now imagine sitting calmly collected next to your family and having that feeling all day long. Yeah. 
it, it drives you nuts. The yeah. adrenaline never shuts off. Right. And, and those are, those are stress hormones. So, I mean, Absolutely. the reason you produce adrenaline is to survive a stressful situation. Absolutely. Right? So same with like cortisol and these other hormones, neuronepinephrine, I think is one of them. Exactly. So it's, 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 um, it's like, you're just, you're living a lifestyle where your baseline level of anxiety and stress, we'll just call it stress, right? Yeah. That stress level is is just baseline much higher than an, any like an average person because yeah. you're always at this uh, fight or flight is right around the corner. This uh, this this could happen at any moment. And oh there's, yes. There's never just a safe a safe time. I mean, I guess when you're off call, maybe it's a little bit more relaxed. Um, for some people, it was. It'd be hard I, to take that hat off. Though. Yeah, it'd be but, hard to fully take it off. But I was a fire officer, which meant that I was on call at any time. They could pull me in. Wow. And we lived right by the corner and my wife. And, and I think that's kind of worth mentioning. That's kind of funny. You talk about the evolution of the firefighter. We don't talk about the wives. So I had gotten married in April, joined the department in November. And the first couple of calls at three in the morning in northern Utah, when it's zero frigid degrees at zero six hundred, something like that, mm-hmm. she's don't go, don't go, I'll, I'll make it worth your while, stay here, don't go outside, it's cold. And within a month, it's that damn pager is going off again, and I feel these cold feet in my back pushing me out of bed. Get out and answer that thing. Get out of here. <laughs> so it took about three oh. weeks for her to go from, oh, no, stay home, I'll make it worth your while, to get that damn pager and get out of here. Right. So uh, it, it really takes a toll on the family. I can imagine, yeah. But I, I mentioned the, the motorcycle because there's a particular call I had. And, you know, there are things that we do to ourselves and there are things that happen to us. In this particular case, there was just this young gal, happened to be within a few months of my age, was riding a motorcycle, just like me, and was wearing boots, leather gloves, helmet, jacket, jeans, doing everything right, obeying all the laws. A guy turned in front of her. She went over the top. Um, she had a massive head injury, so she started uh, convulsing, um, went into seizures. And the only thing I could do was lay my body across her legs to keep her from uh, hurting you know, her, killing everybody. Yeah, just, just. And I got home and I had blood, just, her lungs were crushed, so everything I had on was just absolutely soaked and I had to, I had to burn them. And when I got home, I said, I will never let a person die on my watch because of a lack of knowledge. And I think that's where I started to kind of lose a little balance because I started going to classes, paying for classes. I would stay back and talk to doctors. I would be pulling out medical journals. I was, I mean, people called me all sorts of things from brown noser and ass kisser (laughs) and smarty pants and all that crap. But I realized that day that I had, three minutes ago, that had been a living human being. And now she was no different than a piece of meat. And I decided I was never going to let that happen. Not not as far as it, if it was up to me. So I realized I wasn't terribly inclined to be in high places. So I started training really heavily on high angle rescue. Wasn't really keen to be in confined spaces. So I took up the sport of, vertical caving where you're using all the rope work as well as being in vertical mm-hmm. you know in confined spaces and it seemed that every one of my off-duty hobbies 
would seem to a lot of people to be crazy, you know, swift water uh, rafting, all kinds of crazy anything stuff. Anything to prepare you. Yeah, climbing, anything. Yeah. And it all came down to if I need to, I don't want it to be my lack of knowledge or skill. Right. And that's where the drive came. And um, it, it is kind of funny. And I, every firefighter out there, if, if you're offended by this, then you are this guy. But we all know people. We had one guy we called air pack failure guy. We called him that because every time we go on a structure fire, he would fake something wrong with his equipment. Oh, okay. He was one of those guys that was in love with being a firefighter, but not the job. Yeah. And the job is is brutal. So uh, when his partner uh, later got assigned to me, he went home. And I'm told he told his wife, he said, I got Captain Matheson, I got Captain Matheson. She says, oh, thank God. I don't have to worry about you anymore. And he says, yeah, and I get to go into fires now. So we were we were super aggressive and uh you know you get two like-minded people and all we wanted to do was help yeah that was it yeah it's selfless it's it's it real i mean that's pretty much if we're gonna epitomize selflessness in a in a role that's that's as close to it as i can think of um that being said it's like and i'm i know you can probably agree with this now it's hard to give when there's nothing left to give right and and you have to you can't pour from the empty cup right and that is to someone like us like you said it it very much is about giving and in fact you won't meet a firefighter that doesn't work two or three other jobs we do it because they pay us so poorly i was making 18 dollars an hour as a battalion chief responsible for a hundred thousand lives. Yeah. And, and also at 27. Yeah. And also responsible for seeing the most graphic traumatic experiences, experiences, not seeing, but experiencing the most graphic traumatic moments. Um, I mean, if we're going to try to quantify it with money, it's higher than 18 bucks an hour. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I did it because I loved it so much. And because people kept saying, you know, uh, some people are just good at certain things. And they just said, you know, you're, we want you to do this. We want you to work for the state. We want you to start testing. We want you to start teaching. We want you to start doing these pilot programs. We want you to start writing books. Uh, how do you say no when it's to benefit your fellow man? Yeah. And like you said, that cup drains. And I drank it right down to the bottom until when I walked in on January 9th, 2003. I made it through a little over three hours of my shift, and they wheeled me out and uh, got me home, crawled to uh, crawled to my couch, and spent the next five years there. That was it. All right. So, was there? So to lead up to that, other than just the barrage of continual, you know, yeah. nonstop, what you were facing every day, was there any particular like? Um, experiences that you'd point to that said this was a catalyst that that kind of led to that moment like were there were there particular injuries or fires or moments that you can point to and say yeah this this was one of the big ones that helped that led me to this moment where i couldn't couldn't yeah couldn't go yeah absolutely and i'm hoping that no one is listening to this so i'm going to change my name from now on and everything else <laughs> no one gets hurt um I lived a pretty energetic life as a kid, as you can probably imagine. And as we discussed, we do a lot of the same things, you know, the, yeah. the caving, spelunking, yeah, yeah. we, you know, on the water, the rafting, everything. 
So I had suffered a number of injuries. Um, the first one when I was eight was a pretty severe injury to the back and the sciatic. I've not had a moment's day of peace since I was eight. So that's years a old. lower back injury. Yeah, lower yeah. back, and that was the one that started it. Yeah, I had, a, I had a similar injury when I was little, but just to my neck and upper oh. upper spine. I fell out of a tree. I loved climbing trees, and I fell out about twelve foot fall onto my neck. Um, still any crushing? Um, so I I've, I'm, I'm big into yoga now. Do, oh, okay. Do a lot of floating and stuff, but you will notice if I do this, you can you can see the. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, very pronounced right at right at T seven. Right, sorry, right uh, before the T1, cervical uh, spine. Yeah, C seven. Right. So, it's it's uh, still protrusion there, and uh, still limited in my um, in yoga postures that require gotcha. me to really open up my neck like that. Yeah. But but yeah, go on with your sciatic injury. Yeah, so that that was the first one, and then throughout then, uh, kind of like you, it sounds like when it got down to it. I could not look at any one event and say, did this happen as a civilian or on the job? But I also would not report the injuries on the job. And there was one in particular, um, a guy had gone down um, in a very confined space. Remember, I'm 6'5", so I'm the tallest guy there. Yeah. We can't get everything out of the way. The guy's airway's been occluded, he's crimped off, he's got an open head injury. He's already starting to do what we call Shane stoking. So he's starting to a regular breathe as the brain functions are stopping. So we realize we probably don't have a very good chance, but we've got life flight and route. We're ready to do this. So I just simply spread my legs, bend over at the waist, and proceeded oh. to do CPR for 48 minutes. Oh. When I went to stand up, I could not stand up. They had to pick me up, um, each one under an arm, and they had to drive, they had to carry me out to the to the rescue with my legs bent in the same position. Oh. So I made it back to uh, the barracks, told the chief, I think I might have hurt my back, and went and laid down, and it got worse and worse and worse. And that was the one, I'd had several before, you know, you fall through your, you, you fall through enough ceilings or floors or roofs, have enough of them collapse on you. Every, everyone gets hurt. It's the most dangerous occupation there is. Um, you get burned. I mean, you you're just it. responding to danger and trauma oh, and accidents constantly. nonstop. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for perspective, and it's one of the things that f is not well portrayed in the movies. There are very few movies that actually get it right. But uh, one particular morning I remember, there are a couple of tragic, absolutely tragic, a couple of 17-year-old girls headed on their way to high school. So what about around 0.45, something like that? And they were driving some little car, and a guy uh, missed a stop sign and hit him with an old, heavy 1976 Ford truck. And they came to rest in a farmer's field 120 oh feet away. Oh, God. And there were no skid marks. The car literally left the ground, was airborne, and hit the ground. Oh. So on that particular call, I ended up leaning over the over the hood through the windshield we removed and doing a surgical airway on her. As we're landing a couple of helicopters, we can't get uh, the jaws out there, so we're ripping doors off literally by hands. And... Uh, I finally get her off, and I'm, man, it was my sixth fatality in 14 hours. It was a rough shift. 
and uh, a farmer starts walking to me. And obviously I'm the officer. And he says, who's going to pay for my crops? And anybody who knows me knows that it's almost impossible to piss me off. It's almost impossible to make me angry. But anybody who really knows me knows that if I get quiet, things are bad. It's and boiling. I got quiet. And I turned around, said nothing, and just started walking towards him. I had just watched the life run out of this beautiful, perfect little 17-year-old girl who will never go to high school, will never have a boyfriend, never get married, never have kids, nothing. And she died with a compassionate hand instead of a cold, you know, burnout medic. I feel good about that. But I was going to tear this guy's head off. I don't know what I was going to do, but it was not going to be pretty. Mm -hmm. I was going to end up getting arrested, and he was mm -hmm. going to end up in the hospital. And it's the only time that's ever happened, but a couple of my guys saw me, and they knew what I was like, and they ran, and they said, Cap, Cap, come on. No, it's it's not worth it. And they both bear-hugged me and pulled me around like, ah, yeah, whatever, and just ran off. And when we got to the station, and it was funny because years later I talked to my partner on that, and we had about 30 minutes before we went off shift, and we were taking showers. We always have to take showers with the uniforms right next to us, and only one person can take a shower at a time and such. And I will not lie, I was trembling. I was terrified that if that alarm went off again, I was going to kill somebody else's kid. I was taking it really personally. 16 fatalities, sorry, four, six fatalities in 16 hours is oh what it God. was. And from there, I was supposed to jump in a car, drive 130 miles to Logan, and teach confined space rescue. And that's the one thing about the job that we did is people pick up the phone, and they have a right to, to dial 911 and expect a consummate professional who is clean, well-trained, polite, looks correct, has a clean ambulance, regardless of what kind of day they've had, no one else should know what kind of day we have. But when we go home, we go home wrecked, physically, mentally, emotionally. And, uh, you know, that's where some of those injuries came from. Uh, they were pretty, pretty severe. So they retired me at 30 years old. And by that time, I had put in over 30 years of service, teaching wow. um, uh, several different agencies, a couple of different state agencies. And, uh, you know, that was it. Wow. That was it. Yeah, that's a... Ah, uh, man, it's hard to find the right word for what kind of story that is. <laughs> because it's like, it, it, on the one hand, you feel this sense of gratitude just for the fact that you and others are out there giving in that way and, and and i mean and when i mean it's just the job nobody wants to do like nobody wants to pick that girl out of that car no. nobody wants to like that's no. that's that's gonna stick with you for the rest of your life it has yeah and um i couldn't do it i i have the i i don't know if it's i mean there's a spectrum of humans, right? Yeah. And some of them, some of them are, I, I tend to be really, uh, I feel people's pain quite a bit. Just talking to you right yeah. now, I, yeah. I feel it a lot. And, so you're very empathetic. And, yeah. 
and it and I'm not saying that it's a good thing because in that job it'd be a it'd be a, a, a liability. Yeah. If you're too empathetic in that job, you're not going to make it because you're filling you're you filling too much. You have to be able to wash it off with your shower. You have to be able to pick yourself back up. <laughs> and I wish to God I could have done that, <laughs> but I never could. And uh, they one guy we had a oh god we had one of the most tragic calls I've ever had. A guy was playing with his 14 year old son, didn't know it. His son had a congenital heart defect. Heart blew up right there. We get there and the dad is sitting with his hands in his in his head, just sobbing, just destroyed. And this kid's just laying on the ground going cyanotic. We rip everything out of, get a nice space where we can start. I'm sorry, this is all the actual graphic, how yeah. fire really works, not TV. Yeah. Shit gets tumbled all over, things get pulled out. We pull them out and we start doing compressions. He starts getting distended abdomen. So I put an NG tube in down to relieve the pressure and we work them and work them and work them. And the last thing I remember was loading him in the bus and walking by that dad and he was just, there are no words for the devastation. He believed he had done this. They didn't know about the condition. And I put a hand on his, on his shoulder and that was all I could do. And I, I had to get his boy to the hospital and that kind of stuff sticks with you. Yeah. But, you know, you're absolutely right. To do this job, you need to be able to wash it off. I never could. And I think that's what made me the kind of empathetic medic that I was. But man, did it take a toll on me and my family emotionally. Because yeah. you drag those things with you everywhere. And, and you're still carrying a lot of still, it. Still, yeah. yeah. PTSD a became so severe you slam a car door and I would literally fall into a, into the corner and I'd curl up and just start shaking. Oh like completely gosh. uncontrollable. Start pulling my hair out, start hitting myself in the face. All these things you can't control because your body has been getting, as you mentioned, all those catecholamines. Yeah. All that adrenaline just dump, 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 dump every yeah. day. And the body keeps the score. And a body, exactly. Keeps the body the score. stores memories. Yeah, it holds it. It holds it all. It does. And um, now the question is, is there a way to heal that and to, and to release it? And and are we just coming around to that in our in our Western medicine, right? Because as you know, very uh, intimately with Western medicine, our our approach is very mechanical. And it's it, very reactionary. Yeah, that too. It's it's whack a mole with what we're dealing with. Exactly. Right? And but but um and we'll go into your your injuries and and what you've your experience with you know Western medicine has been like. But um seeing seeing the body as more of a whole from a more holistic approach is something that you know that does keep emotions and uh, all of those things stored as well. For I mean, so so when you when you have a trigger that resurfaces an emotional trauma, you know, something that has been in there for maybe a decade, maybe it's been longer and, and then it comes up and manifests in a physical oh. way. And then you get yeah. the shakes and you get those different <laughs> yeah. re responses, right? Yeah. That, that's, that's actually extremely insightful. Most people don't get that. Uh, they're used to the Rambo type breakdowns and the stereotypes that every soldier has PTSD. Everyone of them should never have a gun. All of them are wackos, all retired police or fire. We all manifest it differently. 
and I watch guys go hard. I watched guys start telling people when uh, they were when we were getting called out on suicide attempts. I actually watched a guy take the knife, take this little girl's hand, roll it over, and say, "If you want to kill yourself, this is the way you do it. Cut here and here, and unless you're serious, don't call us again." Wow. Now, I don't know about you, but I think he probably shouldn't have been on the job. Right. And he shouldn't have been. He had burned out. But if you also know him, he was one of the first medics in the state of Utah. He was absolutely brilliant. He taught a right. lot of people, saved a lot of lives, but he had just burned out. Yeah, and that's a new that's a new like term that now we have to come like yeah. we have we just have this new classification of a human being and it's yeah. just called a burnout. Someone yeah. who's someone who's burned out. What does that mean? What does it mean yeah. to be burned out? It's like I mean, I'm not worth anything anymore. Yeah, it's like uh, let's uh, shuffle them off into the into the cupboard and get a new one that's not burned out, right? Yeah. Like f- changing a spark plug or something. Yeah, and this keep a, this machine going. <laughs> this is a kind of burnout that eats your soul. Yeah, but if you know him, you know, just like any firefighter, um, he had, he had almost been killed by a patient. A patient had attacked him with an oxygen cylinder, and nearly beat him to death. So you can kind of see how maybe he would be a little bit different. A little jaded. Yeah, a little jaded. But when I was an instructor, I would tell my students, if you ever stop believing that the pain that your patients feel is real, stop. Get a new job. Leave. And that was the first thing you tell them on the first day. I'd also tell them it wasn't like Pamela Anderson running up and down Baywatch in this country, we get between uh, 3 and 5% saves of cardiac arrest. Those are the current numbers as far as I'm aware. So It's, it's not, not like, every time right. like you see on Baywatch. Right, right. The, the, the paddles come out yeah, and everyone comes exactly. back. Right. Clear, clear. <laughs> no. It's 3 to 5%. 3 to 5% depending on where you live. And I was always pleased when I would say, if you can't deal with the blood, with the guts with people crapping on you, pissing on you, assaulting you, hitting you, calling you names. Don't do this job. And you're only going to make seven bucks an hour at that time. I was always happy when people got up and turned in their money. I really was. Because if I signed them off, it meant I would let them work on my family. And that's a high standard. Right, right. But yeah, when it when it comes to what you mentioned, the jaded... I. I don't know how you describe a burnout now because you've got good men who have just seen so much. Yeah. Um, it's like stripped. It's like a stripped screw. Uh, yeah. It's it's like uh, it, despite all efforts, you know, effort isn't isn't what you need anymore. What you need is right. uh, a re, some sort of recharging. You need exactly. a, um, healing is what yeah. it really is. You need healing. And uh, that's so, I mean, this is, I guess some more of like a, a philosophical question about firefighting, but should we even realistically be asking people to do this, right? Like, is, is it realistic to, I mean, obviously if, if you're somebody who's on call 24 seven and these are the types of things you're facing regularly and you're having shifts with six fatalities and whatnot, that doesn't seem realistic in, by anyone, even <laughs> if you're Superman, like that's, that's no. not realistic to just put, ask someone to do that. And, and so is there a way that we can reform it? Um, what do we need to do? How, how do, how do you, and how do you, uh, from a, from a more macro level, 
incentivize, I don't know, or I don't know if incentivize is the right word, but, but change things and innovate it in such a way where we're asking less per individual and we're rotating them out to go get that restoration, that healing, that recovery. I mean, we'll get into this in a minute and a little bit later, but something like floating, for instance, should be mandatory in a, in a firehouse. (laughs) I could not agree with you more. And the, the holistic, you know, being a medic, of course, I started off, it's medicine, 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 no herbs are going to heal a compound femur fracture. That's on me. I've got to do that. When I, when I left, they said that my case, and this is not something I talk about, but my case of PTSD was the most extreme that one psychologist had ever seen in his practice in someone so young who wasn't actually in battle. The other one who was actually a military psychologist said he had never seen a case with the exception of one, and it was a woman who was trapped inside a burning vehicle as it literally burned around her and a man braved the flames, was severely injured, pulled the door off the hinges, pulled her out. And he said, outside of that, I've never seen anybody as bad as you. Wow. But you look at me now, it, it can be changed. And I tried the traditional stuff. Um, I got an ethical doctors that took me up to a thousand morphine equivalent. I did not stutter. That is five times the legal amount in Utah. Still had me on benzos and sleeping medications because I couldn't sleep. Wow. I would have uh, what we called fugue states. Uh, I'm not aware of them. I've only been told of them. Uh, I've met my... Uh, my wife at the time, uh, she couldn't handle the, the firefighting and the injuries. Uh, I'm told I met her at the door naked in the middle of the night. Could remember phone numbers, fell into a fire once, and somebody had to roll me out. Woke up a day later, I think, and asked what was on fire. And said, you don't remember? What are you talking about? Well, it was you. Ah, BS. Looked down and, yep, yeah, I've been on fire. You know, crap like that started happening. That takes a real, real toll yeah. on everybody. But I was one of those people who didn't want to be a statistic. So I started looking. And there isn't a modality that I haven't tried. And I ended up on such a lethal dose of opiates that I would start falling asleep in the middle of a conversation. Wow. My wife would listen. And I don't know how she came up with the number. It ended up being 48 seconds. So I was, after the couch, went to Mexico to try to get some stem cell treatment, um, made it back to Arizona to try to do another treatment. It went so badly I couldn't leave. We actually ended up from that, went from that doctor's office and bought a home. She went back to Mexico, moved the family home. That's how tough she is. And we moved a hospital bed into our front room and she slept on the front couch for 18 months listening to me stop breathing in a hospital bed. That was our lives. Couldn't get up, couldn't walk, couldn't move, couldn't do anything. And I realized that doctors were doing everything they could. I used to believe that Big Pharma was a conspiracy. Not anymore. The way that they push drugs, the way they push treatments, it should be like you said, since the whole person is affected, why aren't we treating the whole person? 
Mm-hmm. Treat the mental, treat the emotional, treat the physical. Mm-hmm. The body can't exist without those three. Yeah, it's all one thing. You, you destroy one, you destroy it all. Yeah, it's all one thing. Um, and, and to your point about big pharma, it's not that morphine doesn't. It's one of the probably the best sedatives and pain killers in the in the world that we know of. Absolutely, it's nothing to say that the pharmaceutical drugs don't work in the way that you know we we're trying to get them to work. It's it's the presumption that this is the solution to the underlying cause, right? So numbing pain doesn't remove the pain. It doesn't no. remove the root cause of the pain. And I mean, as as you know, because you retired at thirty years old, and how old are you now? Uh, forty-seven. <laughs> forty-seven. So for the last seventeen years, you've since being retired and not no longer going out and and seeing it on a daily basis, but you're still seeing the pain. You're still oh, fighting yes. the pain. You're still carrying a lot of it with you. And, and, and it's not just in scars. It's in emotional trauma and, and PTSD and things that are coming up probably less regularly now, I hope. But Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a time. It took seven years before I could walk back into a fire station. And I went out so fast that people thought I was dead. Uh, last year, I went back to an old timers party, ran into a couple of guys and looked at me and they said, my God. I thought you were dead. I had always hoped you had made it and that things had turned out all right. But there was half a dozen people who thought I was dead. I just went out so fast, no one knew. But these guys that keep doing it, to your point before about what are we doing, firefighter deaths are down half from when I used to fight fire. We've got better gear, Mm -hmm. better training, one of the things that I recognized some uh, would have been 2013 uh, was what we were talking about before. I was tired of my firefighter friends getting hurt. And I started an NPO where we were going to try to get massage therapists, uh, float tanks, um, even psychological, uh, LCSWs, whatever we could get into the station and treat these guys when they got back, when mm-hmm. they got downtime, mm-hmm. because we're required to spend a certain amount of time mm-hmm. doing PT. Why not do that getting a massage, getting relaxed? Why not do that getting a therapeutic massage where you're actually moving fluid, where you're actually doing some good? And why not put a float in every single station? It's, it's a no-brainer. The very first time in my life that I ever had freedom from pain was in a float spa wow that was it yeah you said that to me um when we met that's why i'm here and that's why you're here because the second you said that i i realized that that this is a conversation that had to happen but um that's powerful that's i mean that that gave me chills because you're talking about i mean we just went in for the last 40 minutes talking about one of the most graphic careers, if you want to call it a career (laughs) of, of, uh, anyone I've ever talked to. And, um, you just, the only thing that gave you reprieve from any of that craziness was just time alone in a float tank. Yeah. Yeah. And because of my confined space, because of who I was, and again, Hollywood gets it wrong. The second you open a door, you do not have any visual contact with anything. You see nothing. Everything is done by feel. Now we have thermal imagers that help, but 
still you've got to go in and do things manually. And so you've you're, got you're to, talking about with the smoke mm-hmm. obscuring. Exactly. Yes. I'm sorry. If I probably wasn't clear enough on that. Um, but, but we did it and we did it hard in the old days. And as soon as the fire was out, we pulled off our bunker gear and pulled off our, our SCBAs and we overhauled the fire. You're looking at a 48 year old, you would think would be pretty healthy. Used to be a monster. I have COPD. What does that stand for? Uh, cons- uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Okay. From eating too much smoke. Oh, I have okay. permanent so neurological damage wow. because I absorb so many chemicals through my body. Right. I, I could come home from a fire and my wife would say, ah, been a big shift today, huh? And she would be able to smell the smoke and toxins come out of my pores oh, for wow. three days. Wow. So I went from being nice, thick hair to, as you can see, quite thinning, lost vision, lost eyes, uh, sorry, vision and hearing. All of those things, those chemicals affect those small nerves. Yeah. And so one of the things that I found is the pain that I'm in, I won't even try to describe. I will tell you that other people have said it is a level of pain that they cannot comprehend and do not know how I deal with it. And you're talking about this now. Uh, I'm As I'm sitting here right now. It I'm going to pass you some more CBD oil, <laughs> sir. <laughs> and and that, by the way, I'm also a big fan of. Yeah, we have this uh, American Shaman CBD. Um, I'm a big fan of it too. And it's, and the since we since we're talking about it, the the thing that's cool about this that makes it a little bit different, I guess, is they um, so they take the hemp oil mm-hmm. and then they they put it in a lab and they use uh, they have a proprietary method where they they use this nanotechnology to change the molecular size of, oh okay of, so the whole reason for doing that is you're trying to take you're trying to make the molecule size as small as possible Break so the there's more surface area, more surface area for more absor- absorption right That's so that really way cool. so that way you're not just pissing out all your cbd oil you're um absorbing as much of it as possible mm-hmm. And according to, to their study that they've had done and, and you know, these guys, their their absorption is like something in the 90s, like 90% or something wow. that you're going to absorb as opposed to like 10 or 15% the standard CBD oils. Uh, supposedly, you, you pee out a lot of it. Um, anyways, and then it's water soluble, so you don't have to like hold it in your t- under your tongue or anything. You just, yeah. you just drink it and it, you fill it within like 30 seconds, so... It's, you know, it's one of those things, like I said, I was so traditional, I would never have considered something like CBD, would have never considered some of the things I did. The pain got so bad, it was, as long as it's not a voodoo witch doctor sticking a needle in my eye, Mm -hmm. there is nothing I won't try. Right. And I've had a number of doctors say they could write their, they could, they could write their entire lives if they could just use me as one single study. Right. And in fact, I've been involved in a number of them. And uh, you're absolutely right. We treat it wrong. These guys need to have a place where they can decompress. They need to have a place, and I've never found anywhere better than a float spa. And if this sounds like a commercial, I don't know what to say. But <laughs> yeah, it, so it's... for the record, for the record, <laughs> I, met all Alan, volunteer. I met Alan one time. Yeah, and, and the second we, time. I was having a beer waiting for my girlfriend to get off a shift and uh, stuck up a conversation. And 
uh, one thing led to another. And I mentioned I was opening a float center and his eyes lit up and he, Absolutely. he told me that floating had had a huge impact on him. Yeah. And so here we are, but, um, but yeah, like there's so many, there's so many people listening. I would imagine that, that, um, have, they're in a similar, I say similar loosely. Sure. No, but, but everybody's in a, pain is genuine for them. Yeah, Everybody exactly. Exa- that's very true. And so everyone's got pain and, and a lot of it's physical. I think of loved ones that I know, uh, mothers, friends, family, um, who have, fear back pain and and just physical i mean it's a i can't imagine what it's like you know i've I've felt pain before but like just to have it chronically all the time and never have that off switch never have a pause from never sleep and then and and you're like the one of the pinnacle examples of that um where it's just it's perpetual it's not non-stop and then even even for you you can climb into a float tank yeah and get reprieve and it turns off for 60 minutes like it's it's you're you're laying in and for some reason, for whatever it is, like no gravity, exactly. the salt makes you your muscles relax, and then no light, no sound, your brain can let all yeah. those let all those stress hormones dissipate and let everything kind of right. retreat away and go back to a more of a baseline, more of like this restorative um, healing mode, mode that the body can get into. Yeah, well, we had talked about the body being composed of you know emotion. Uh, mental and physical Mm -hmm. what i found is that i get so pain soaked that i'll start getting irritated if if i if i raise my voice people get scared because i don't raise my voice if i get sharp Mm -hmm. people are uncomfortable because it's not my way and i know that it's too much so i'll just excuse myself and i'll go and i'll try to decompress but what i learned was that the human body can deal with Oh, let's just put it like this. How about being hungry, cold, tired, wet, thirsty, uh, exposure, um, low blood sugar, add whatever you want. The body can deal with it, but not all at once. And not while it's trying to fly a 747 and do something really technical. Not every day. No, not every day. I mean, it might do it once. So what I found is to deal with my pain, if I could get a mental break, Mm -hmm then I had the strength to deal with my pain mm-hmm. with no opiates. Mm-hmm. Now, I mentioned that they took me up to a 1,000 morphine equivalent, which is absolutely illegal, but on the maximum dose of fentanyl. Uh, and is this, I, is this currently what you're... I, had, I, I went off fentanyl cold turkey. The doctor said that's not possible. No one does it. No one can do it. I did without, it on like, my own. Without dying because of the withdrawals, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, six weeks ago, I got bent and I just said no more eight weeks ago and went off the opiates for the fifth time, cold turkey. I keep begging these doctors, no more opiates, no more opiates. And it's not the opiates in and of themselves are bad because as you mentioned, for acute pain, they are great. They're, 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 they're miracle drugs Absolutely. in the right circumstances. Absolutely. I mean, if you're dragging someone off of a battlefield or out of a burning vehicle, gotta have them. you got to have them. Like yeah. that's, it's going it, to, it can save someone from a lot of trauma because of that pain, yeah. that pain is going to leave a lasting signature. Of trauma. Absolutely. And something that you may not be aware of, we talked slightly a little bit about pharmacology, but uh, the use of ketamine and the use of propofol 
is now happening on some very progressive departments, ambulances. What that means is if I'm in a super traumatic car accident, I can jack you full of propofol. You'll have the pain when you wake up. You'll have to deal with that broken leg, but you will have none of the emotional trauma. Right associated with it's gone experience wiped out yeah and the same with ketamine right right but the thing that doctors don't tell you about the uh the opiates is that they work for about 90 days and then you develop what's called opiate induced hyperalgia everyone does that's essentially a tolerance or what do you mean well it, it it quits uh it quits working and Every time you take a dose of opiates, it fills the pain receptors and then adds about a billion more. And you get to oh, a point okay. where if you withdraw the opium, I or see. the opiates actually become the source of I pain. See, I see. So this so is called, why it's this is why it's impossible to come off of a heroin without oh, like people, I mean yeah. the descriptions you hear about a heroin withdrawal, you know, being torture essentially. Just everything yeah. being the most painful uh, irritating abrasive experience any any like your eyelids feeling like sandpaper and things like that yeah there are unfortunately people in my family that will remain traumatized for the rest of their lives because i chose to detox five times on my own at home and they had to watch that and even the doctors the pain doctors had to walk out it was so bad Um, you just have to imagine every nerve you have uh, activating yeah and, and you've got to be able to want it and drive through that and it's not the people that can't do it are weak it's that you have to have something to live for and you have to want not to live like that anymore yeah so in my case and I, again i don't mean to be graphic but about every day is it stop up my bowel so much you'd have to go in and digitally take out a a, a, a softball your bowels just stop working. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I lim- very, very limited opiate use. But when I, I had a surgery, mm-hmm. for, I think I mentioned it to you, for my hip. Yeah, you did. Yeah. And when, that's a big surgery. When I was 14, yeah. yeah. And and so I was on some opiates for that. And I definitely experienced the same sort of like constipation and things, oh. like where it's it just backs you up. But... I mean, I thought I had a, <laughs> I thought I had a little bit of a cool testimonial for floating, and and uh, I can't wait to see what happens with you, with you. I, 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 you're, you are, I'm, I'm, I'm teeming with excitement because already just just with, I mean, it's already a massive success. The fact that you've been in a float tank mm-hmm. and you experienced peace in a life oh, yes. that was not peaceful, right? In a life Absolutely. that had no that had that had no real reprieve from all of this that yep. we've gone into. And now I can't wait to see what happens when you're floating regularly. And, uh, yeah, you know, we and we can see, we can we see moved. what the, what the potential is for, for this to like, for see where it can go and how Absolutely. deep the healing gets. And, and that's for those who do care. Um, this is, this is not paid. This is not, has nothing to do with, uh, anything at all it's that i believe in this so well with other modalities if it can work for someone like me it can work for most people mm-hmm. they have to be willing to accept it you know uh, the way it was introduced to me we can leave the lights on there can be music yeah. there can be we and i probably... said no absolutely not <laughs> and that was what i needed <laughs> let's 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 uh take a short detour and just sure 
talk about floating because there's probably some people listening who are like, okay, what exactly did he talked about this a bunch of times <laughs> and what, what the hell are they actually getting at? So, um, what, what Alan's referring to with floating is he's talking about getting in a, uh, what some people call a sensory deprivation tank. I don't like that term so much because I don't like to think of it as deprivation. You, right. it's more of like sensory attenuation in the sense that your body, um, still has input coming in you're 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 still you're there's still some input it's just what you're focusing on changes what you what you become aware of changes because most of your sensory experience that you're experiencing all the time in regular day life is gone so and and let me interrupt you there too because that that is a very important point that i think needs to be made and i didn't know Mm -hmm. i was searching for sensory deprivation Mm -hmm. i didn't want to feel anymore right I didn't realize that what we were actually doing was attenuating it, was modifying it, right. was changing the way I process it. Right. And now as a smarter, more educated person, I get that. But I was looking to not feel anything. Yeah, you were looking for lights off, like turn right. the paint off. Yeah, like, if, there, off. if I could have flipped a switch, you know, I needed that piece. Yeah. And so please go on because okay. that was a very valid point that I right. wanted to so, back up for you. So um, the a, a good a good term for floating is restricted environmental stimulation therapy or REST, which is kind of a, yeah. a convenient oh. acronym. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> but uh, so REST treatment, REST therapy. And uh, essentially what you're going to be looking at here is climbing into a tank. Um, our tanks are going to be about five by eight or so. Um rough dimensions so you're getting into this tank of about a foot of water the water has about 1100 pounds or so of salt epsom salts dissolved into it so we're talking about water that's now about 30 times saltier than the ocean so you're you're completely buoyant when you lay down in this water you you pop to the surface uh you just float on the top of the water with no effort whatsoever so this allows you to for the first time uh that i mean probably since you're in the womb to really be free from gravity. I mean, you're, yeah. you're floating and you're suspended in this, this water solution, saltwater solution. So you're, you're now, your stabilizer muscles can now release. I mean, I, I was reading, um, I think it was, oh, what's this guy's name? He wrote kind of the Bible on floating. Um, the book, it's called The Book of Floating. Hmm. And he goes into some of the research on it. And one of the things that they reference is that, uh, it's up for de- it's up for debate, but there's somewhere between like 60 plus percent of our central nervous system is dealing with just gravity. Oh so, yeah, yeah, and that's something Pro that perception. Yeah, and... nobody's thinking about that because mm-hmm. it's just a baseline thing. You're born into the world with gravity, so right. why would you think about gravity? The whole point of the brain is to filter out all of the constants so that you can focus on like tasks, like things that you know. That's the reticular activation system of the brain. It's zooming in. And, and narrowing in on one thing like this conversation and I'm not thinking about how I'm how I feel in the chair and how gravity's pulling all these millions of little muscles in all these different directions have to respond to this force right so now you're in an environment where I mean not all of gravity but a large majority of it is eliminated or neutralized and so a huge amount of bandwidth of your nervous system just got freed up. Yeah. It now doesn't have to deal with gravity. Now we're going to take the other inputs and we're going to, we're going to dial those all the way down. So we heat, we heat the water up to skin temperature. 
so that 93.5 degrees, so you're essentially not feeling temperature or really, once you stay yeah. still and lay in the water for a while, you don't feel much of anything. Yeah, and the it's, air... It's interesting. It's really, it's intense. Mm -hmm. it, it really is. Because like you said, you don't feel anything. And for a person who's injured, those joints don't load up mm -hmm. because there's there's absolutely no pressure whatsoever. Right. And for some people, it can be a little intimidating. For sure. But if you let your mind understand what's going on, it's, God, it's great. Right. And so, and so, you know, air temperature, water temperature are, are essentially right around body temperature. Mm -hmm. And then you're um, getting rid of all sound. We, we're going to, we soundproof everything as, as much as possible. Then you've got ears underwater as well, which is an additional soundproofing. And then um, no lights, right? So it's dark and you light proof the room as well. So we've gotten rid of pretty much all of our external stimuli. And now you, you start to turn this inner world on. You light this inner world up and you start to realize like, oh, it doesn't just all turn off. Like mm -hmm. when, when, I, when I get rid of all the outside world, there's still consciousness, there's still awareness, there's still this existence. And it's so curious to go and explore and discover that inner, inner realm. That's kind of a, a side uh, tangent from the aspect of just the physical right. effects on the body. But it, it really is, it's a fascinating experience. But um, what you mentioned something about intimidating, right? Right. And we're, there's, there's so many ways to float. There's not just one way to do it. And, and, and I'm not like this float maximalist or purist who's like, <laughs> <laughs> only jump in these coffin-shaped float tanks in the dark, and that's the only choice, right? Like, I, I want people, I want to do whatever... I want to do whatever it takes to make people float right? because I want people to heal. I want people to see transformation. I want people to transform. I want them to go into the life they want to live. That means the body you want to be in. Right. That's the first step. The first step is if the body's holding you down in this reality that's full of pain and agony all the time, let's fix that. Let's, let's try to get rid of that as much as possible. So um, the first step is to heal the body and if, if you're somebody who's got PTSD or claustrophobia or for whatever reason you're terrified of the idea of being alone in the dark, great, let's not jump right into that end of the pool. Like That's great that you did it your first time, but there's a lot of people who aren't, and, and that's fine with me. That's totally fine with me. So I'm actually building one of my float tanks, my, my, and all of our rooms are, are custom-built float rooms. Mm -hmm. they're, not, they're not these just um, pods that you buy and you put in a room it's going to actually be a room built around the to create the most ideal float environment possible right. and one of my float rooms is going to be an open style float tank as far as i know i don't know of any other ones that exist in utah there is my my buddy elliot has one in imr imr float in vegas so if anyone is down in vegas um, and you want to check it out uh, it's called the mandala system the mandala float system it's phenomenal float experience. And if you're somebody who's intimidated by floating, I highly, highly recommend you go check out IMR float in Vegas and uh, check out the Mandala room. But I'll have one of those um, built a little differently, but the same concept. And so the idea is that there's no walls surrounding this tank or this, this cabin. It's not enclosed, it's open. And so I'm essentially just laying down in a big bathtub yeah. Right in in a room, I can leave the lights on and this, have some nice soft lighting. Like it's not, it's it's really pleasant. Play some music if you want yeah. some relaxing music. We got we'll have tons of different options for that. So it's it's just this nice relaxing experience. And as soon as you're ready, 
maybe sometime you take the lights off, right? <laughs> and then maybe we take the music off. Like maybe we just build up to it, but whatever gets people in the tank trying it, you know, getting that first step, getting your toes wet. That's that's what I'm shooting for. Is I want I want people to be able to approach it. And for me, like I'm on the other end of the spectrum, kind of. <laughs> like I I was intimidated the first time as well, right. but since I floated over a hundred hours, um, my favorite combination is actually to take edible uh, cannabis. Oh, okay. So I'll take edible marijuana, uh, usually about ten or twenty milligrams of that, and I'll get in the float tank about forty five minutes to an hour later. And to me, that's the that's the combination that it works. That's I've I've tried a lot of different things and, and experimented. That's my favorite. It's like consistently like a an incredible experience. Sure. Consistently every time, like every time, it's powerful. And and there's something about cannabis that, especially with edibles, where they really put you in your body, mm-hmm. and 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 that's why people call it a body high. So it's like the first time I ever did it, I had this experience where, without without going too far into the details, because I could talk about this forever. But I had this experience the first time, and this is what got me in on this path in the first place with floating. But about 30, 40 minutes into my float, and I just was relaxed, floating, you know, counting my breath, that kind of thing, just just chilling out, essentially. Then the edibles sort of just, I felt like this switch, like flipping my brain. Really? It was like this switch happened, and all of a sudden, I wasn't in this same part of like I wasn't in the same conscious like monkey mind that I'm that we're that we're in all the time where we're just constantly have this narrative and this thinking and this 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 train of thought going nonstop, right? That just stopped. It just it just switched right off. It was gone. And I wasn't even Christian. I wasn't even a person. I was I was all I all I was was just the, the vibration and the sensation of of what I was experiencing. And and I say vibration because with all of this outside stimulation gone, I started to become instantly aware of my nervous system. Mm-hmm. I started becoming aware of the electrical pulses going through my body. I was becoming aware of the the vibration of it all, right? And I just got completely immersed in this really subtle physical experience. And it was like this curiosity reawoke inside of me, like from mm-hmm. being a child. And I was now all of a sudden just fascinated, like I'm in this new territory. I just found this little, like, uh, like wardrobe into Narnia, and right. and here I am in this like new part of my my existence, my body, my mind that I'd never that I'd like been cut off cut off from, and after that experience, which you know it it completely changed my life, it reconnected me to this inner intuition, and this this reconnection with my body that I had lost, and and so I think a lot of people have lost it too, where you don't really feel confident in your body. You don't feel, tr- you don't trust your body. So yeah. we want an expert to tell us what's right for our body. We, you know, we need to go see the right specialist to see how we're going to fix this problem. Where, where I found when I was alone with myself and intimate with myself in this float tank, I was able to reconnect and realize, oh, I know what to do. Yeah. My body, and I didn't have to think about what to do. It was just spontaneous. My body knew what to do. How does a pup, a wolf pup, become a grown-up wolf and know how to hunt? Yeah. It knows what to do. It yeah. it knows exactly what to do. It starts playing, right? It starts exploring the world, and that's uh, I think what we got to get back to. That's a that's a great experience, and 
You know, you think about it, you walk into a restaurant, you walk into a building, you look around, and how many people are on their electronic devices? All of them. <laughs> people don't interact anymore. We're surrounded with nothing but toxins and technology and stimulation from the moment we get up to the moment we sit down. People don't read anymore. They don't spend that time. And, and what you're describing, I've had those similar experiences where I've done a two-hour float and just said, you guys just shut off the light. Give me a chance. Mm -hmm. Like, you've been in here for two hours. Mm -hmm. And it's mind-blowing what the, what the brain can do once it doesn't have all of that stimulation. And like you, it was able to just... Yeah. And, and, and so that was... That, that was, was the first of many dominoes. Yeah. So that, that, that was the domino effect where, um, and, and just to, just to maybe explain that a little bit more clearly, I just like physically what happened. So when that switch went off, that switch happened, all of a sudden I'm in this new, this new area of consciousness and I feel this vibration start to build up at the base of my skull. And it's just like this, this, this vibration, uh, energy sort of feeling. Mm -hmm. I feel it completely travel down my spine. And as it's moving down my spine, my, my body, I, my shoulder pops, my, my shoulders roll oh, back yeah. and down. So it's like my posture was fixing itself. Yeah. So it was almost like this. Imagine if, if the brain is just a computer, because that's essentially all it is. It's a biocomputer, right? So this biocomputer found this self-healing program, this self-healing mechanism, okay. this, this auto like fix the bugs, this mm -hmm. debug program, whatever you want to call it. And it just ran this, this program. And all of a sudden here I am autopilot, not thinking about how to do any of this. It's happening spontaneously and my body is moving. Well, as it, as it gets down to my feet, um, or to my hips, I should say, when I get down to my lower back and my hips, I notice there's something wrong. Like my body had been moving and adjusting um, but then my hip won't move. It won't adjust. And I, it was really curious to me. I was, I was, cause at this moment I'm just in this like, cur just simply curious state of mind, like not even thinking about who I am. Yeah. Just any life on. experiences or memory is completely separate yeah. right now. I'm, I'm, I'm totally in this realm of just the living in the now. Right. right. And in the now I, I can't, my hip won't move. My, 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 uh, I, there's this restriction there. Well, the, the energy continues on down to my feet. That was probably the most painful aspect of it because my feet have been, you know, in shoes my whole life. Right. And it pushed, it just pointed my toes, right? Little, little curl. Yeah. So it pointed my, it pointed my feet and just pointed my toes so that they were pointing away from me. Okay. And I just felt this cramping going on in my feet and it instantly just like, like taking a huge breath and breathing through it because it was really painful. But as the, and then, and then once, once my feet were finished pointing, it's like, it's like, uh, it started traveling back up my spine and then back up to my head. But what was interesting is as I was going back up past the hips, I had this realization. It was like this horrifying realization. I'm like, Oh no, like there's metal in there. That was, the I have a screw hurt. in there. Yeah. Holy shit. I have a fucking metal screw in my hip. And it was this like new person realizing it right. like it wasn't it was there was no memory until i like dug deeper and found out like what's the root of this problem and so that was the first domino i got out of that float tank 
and two things were like first of all it felt like climbing out into a new world oh yeah turned the shower on the the sound of the water hitting the yeah. hitting the tile was like mu- musical super orchestra sensitive to every it was sound a, it was vibration. the most beautiful orchestra this oh, this yeah. just rainfall of the showerhead right so it's like just the every every little thing now is heightened right, right. and now just being in normal boring old reality is actually pretty fun like it's actually vibrant yeah. right the colors pop so that was one thing that really struck me but the other thing that struck me was I got to do something. I got to do something about this injury, right? Like I, I've been putting this off for too long. I've had this screw in my body for 12 years and I, I was just going to go live in my life with it, right? Like the doctor told me to. And um, that was the beginning of, of my journey. It was really, I, I cried in the shower. It was really this moment of, of uh, what am I going to do, right? Yeah. Like a little bit overwhelmed. But at the end of the day, I mean, that was, that was January of 2018, I continued floating twice a month, instantly got a yoga membership that day, or the next day, I should say. Um, so yoga a couple times a week, floating a couple times a month, did that. Uh, then I took off and traveled. And um, when I came back from traveling, and, and the, the catalyst of me coming back and back to the States was I, I had this, uh, this plant medicine experience. So I was taking this medicine down in, in Colombia. And I had this realization in this in this moment on this uh this ayahuasca tea medicine that i did and i have this realization i need to go get this screw taken out like that's the that's time it's time to get it removed so i i cut my trip short i was gonna stay down there until you know right before thanksgiving i was gonna come home for thanksgiving and i ended up coming back like mid-october or right right before halloween Hmm. and i scheduled the surgeon here in saint george to have the screw removed um, got it taken out on Halloween and that was over a year ago. And now I've got, uh, I'm on my way to the best body I've ever had. I mean, it's already the best body I've ever had, but it's right. just, it's getting better and better. Like the hips getting better and better and stronger and stronger. So it was just me reconnecting to my, myself, my right. inner power, my inner intuition, that knowing where I all of a sudden had all the confidence in the world. Yeah. This is, this is it. Like I don't need this guy's opinion about this. I mean, I'll get it cause he's an expert. Like he's gone to all this school. I value his opinion, but he, to be honest, he didn't necessarily say pulling this out. is going to really do a whole lot for you. He told me that I'm still going to have a hip, a full hip replacement. Right. So, I mean, we'll, time will tell, but so what happens now? Uh, because it sounds like what basically happened to you is when the body let go, it's like a car that's constantly running diagnostics. Your body does the same. Yeah. So you're feeling that, but it hits that metal, which is not supposed to be there. Yeah. What does it feel like now when you do a float? Oh, now with the, with the screw so, gone. So now, so now, um, I've refined that program basically. In other words, I, I refines a weird word for that, but, but basically I would like to put it like this. The more you get out of your own way, Oh yes. then the more will happen like the more the more good things will happen in, in in the float experience so the whole the whole kind of challenge with floating or with any meditation practice it's learning how to let go learning how to get out turn of your own it way. off yeah and yeah. and the problem with english is turn it off sounds like an active thing to do right i'm right. like oh i gotta do something i gotta go turn the right. off switch right but that's not it at all it's like it's it's doing Just, nothing yeah. it's not doing it's not doing it's 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 letting go. And so, um, since 
that float experience, I mean, I've, I've gotten another hundred or so more hours in the float tank since then. And what I've done is I've basically just refined and I've, I've developed those pathways in my circuitry, in my yeah. neurology, and I've grown those. So now when I go get in a float tank, I don't even necessarily need to do it with an edible to have sure. a powerful experience. Do you see what I mean? Oh, that's super cool. Yeah, and, and the, the it's really what it is, is you can connect to all of it, and, and, the, and the bridge to get you there yeah. is the breath, breathing. B- breathing is a really curious thing. It's the only thing that you do that I know of that, that you're doing consciously and unconsciously. So we're always breathing, but then I can focus on breathing and I can make my breath do what I want it to do. And so I can use breathing as a mechanism, as a vehicle to take me from my regular monkey mind, my, my, um, narrative that's going on and that's dealing with the world all the time. And then when I'm in a safe environment, float tanks are ideal. You can also have a safe place meditating wherever. I like to do this when I'm doing yoga as well. So I'll do it. I've, I've gotten this pathway developed enough where even if I'm in a class with 20 other human beings, I'll still disconnect. I'll still, I'll still rip, I'll still change my consciousness from this monkey mind into something else, whatever you want to call it. This, this other, this other, um, aspect of being human, because there's so many aspects of being human and, and we're, we're led to believe there's only this one and it's the one that's good at working and paying bills. Yeah. So we got to keep yeah. that one. Got to keep feeding. The, yeah. We got to, we got to keep that economy. one as we got to keep that, th- that one under the spotlight and, and not, you know, focus on any of the other ones that, you know, we might think are woo woo or spiritual or anything else. Right. But, but in reality, the human being is a, is a vast tapestry of all of these different aspects yeah. and experiences. And, um, I found floating as the best tool for exploring that tapestry and, and lifting up the hood and seeing what's underneath. Yeah. Right. But, um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think now when I get in a float tank, I just, I primarily focus on my breath, but essentially what will, what will happen is that same automatic energetic aspect, whatever you want to call it, usually takes over and, my body does all kinds of self-diagnostic, self-adjustments. Yeah. My, my floats aren't just, I'm just sitting in there, you know, floating. Usually I'm stretching, I'm moving. Sometimes I'm getting out of the tank and I'm doing yoga in the bathroom, like in the shower. Mm-hmm. So I have all kinds of active floats too, where I'm, I'm actually adjusting my that's, body. I had to... That's actually something I should look into. I would be very interested in trying something like what you're talking about. Yeah being more active yeah than just sitting there and letting things happen I'm, I'm i'm brainstorming about it now but i need to figure out the best way to do it where I, I want where if you do get out of the if you do get out or if maybe there's a way to do it where like you have enough hand supports on the side of the tank or something where you could do some oh that's a good the, idea the problem the problem that you run into is you don't want it to be dangerous. Yeah. Because that salt water solution is so slippery. Yeah. It's so, so slippery. So you're talking about having something you could grab inside mm-hmm. and the, mm-hmm. that makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. Because that that actually helps a great deal. Like if you have an anchor point right. and you can grab onto an anchor point somewhere, then I find that you can you can adjust and stretch and maneuver the most 
just minuscule little areas. Oh, you yeah. can really get in and and you fill them too. That's a thing yeah. that's amazing. I mean, you, you, you go you from this macro to micro environment, right? And you know, my world besides being a firefighter, I I uh, I like to shoot long range. And one of the things you have to do there is you have to control your breathing. Mm-hmm. You get to the point where you can fire between a heartbeat. And that's yeah. a kind of control that we're talking about here. These aren't things that are, are hard to do. They just need to be done. And, and I do want to apologize because I did sound like I was kind of cavalier about the first time I jumped in. But you're looking at 30 years of confined space, rescue, high yeah. angle, You've seen it all. caving. And so I was like, I don't need anything. I'm jumping in. But the person I went with didn't have the same experience. She wanted to have lights on. She wanted to have the clamshell open and music. And so I I do want to correct what I said. You don't have to do it my way. That's the, uh, (laughs) that's a beat yourself ahead, ahead against a wall way. But there are so many different ways you can do it if you do have any issues. It was a pleasant experience for both of us. Yeah. And I'd make the same caveat because... I wouldn't recommend any old random person, you know, take a bunch of edibles and go jump in a float tank because I guarantee you there's some people who are going to freak out. There's some people who are going to freak out. And, and, um, but however, though, the, I have, I have recommended that to quite a few people and taken, you know, friends and loved ones into float yeah. and they've done that combination and had really, really profound floats and had great experiences as well so i know it's not unique to me in fact (laughs) i found out about it because joe rogan's podcast and he's he's ranting about that to you know about however many millions of people who are listening you know because he's got this huge following so um it's not new it's not new news but back i want to get back to um what we were talking about prior to the tangent into floating because you were talking about what you're doing for pain management and getting off of the opiates and and you've done that several times. It's got to be, I can't imagine like how hard that is to, especially when you're on those levels of yeah. doses. Um, so what are you doing now to, to try to cope with and mitigate this pain? Well, let's talk about that. And then we'll go into more detail about what yeah. is causing this pain because you showed me some photos before we started this. And I want to go into those later. little mind-blowing, aren't they? Oh, God. Um, I didn't have a choice. Um I knew that my insurance was going to be cut off at some point, and so I called my doctor, my pain doctor, and said, I need off these meds. And he says, well, you know how we do this. It's two to four months in the hospital. I said, I can't do that. I can't afford it. I've got kids. He says, well, if it was anybody else but you, I'd say absolutely not. He says, but okay, you go ahead and do it. So I sent my kids away, and I took, the last fentanyl patch. And when you're on fentanyl, you can tell to the second when your next patches do. And people will double patch them, they'll chew them, they'll abuse them, they'll do all sorts of things I never did. And uh, that detox took me over a month. Uh, so Oof. it was first you start with the cold chills and the hot sweats, you do the vomiting, you do the diarrhea. Uh, Anything that goes in goes out. You lose about 40 pounds in a month. Oh, my God. Uh, I would go to bed in one set of clothes, wake up after about three hours. They'd be soaked through, take a shower, come back, change my clothes again. From sweating? Move o- Yeah. Move over in the bed halfway, get back up, do it again, move over the third. And every night that I – and I just lay there because you can't sleep. 
and I'd have to not just change the sheets. I'd have to change the comforters. I'd have to change everything. No oral ins and outs. It was just, it's the worst thing you could watch a person do. And unfortunately, the last time I did it, I had kind of started weaning myself off just a bit. And I had neglected to tell my wife. And so when I started going into the DTs, she got to watch, spend four days with me at home going through this again. I'm not anti-opiate. I just think to anybody who is out there listening, please ask your doctor, be direct, and go in with knowledge because opiates are good for about 90 days and then they are a world of hurt. Mm. So I would suggest that. Now, as far as what I do, I do exactly what I said. I try to deal with it mentally. The pain is severe and it is constant. And I've been working, uh, I've been using CBD oil, pure CBD. I don't know what the, you know, what the combination is. I'll, I'll send you, uh, I'll send you home with this. And yeah, I'll try keep trying that. it. See if you, um, see if you notice any difference. And even if it, even if the other CBD is better, like that's great. Like I want to, yeah. I want to find the best. I want to, I'm look. I'm on a search for the best CBD so that I can, uh, distribute it through the float center. Well, and, and I've, I've worked with a couple of growers and, because of the licensing I hold, I, I can't take any THC, and I wouldn't anyway. It's illegal in Utah, so you know other people make up their own minds. I don't because I, I don't have a, a choice in the matter. So I try to eat, eat well, and I do. I don't exercise because any pain is too much, and I basically just bull through with my head. Mm. What that means is that I fade. I fade really quickly, and it's tough. It's tough every day. It gets tougher and tougher. The pain gets more and more intense. There's not much really that can be done. There's a few surgeries I've got to get done. But I'm one of those people that simply sees a target and goes for it. I'm like that German Shepherd. You sick that German Shepherd on that ball and it's gone. I don't do anything except for CBD, um, a little bit of some muscle relaxants. Uh, to stop the cramps, and then I just live with the pain. Otherwise, wow. So, have you have you uh, considered medical a medical marijuana card? Because aren't those available I, now? In uh, yeah, I, I've here. Try pulling that a little bit. Oh, closer. I'm sorry. Oh, Cause it, it actually just so the mic behind. Oh, it, there, there you go. go. Pull that. Perfect. Uh, yeah, I I lived in Arizona and had a medical marijuana card for a couple of years and tried so many different brands. Um. But remember, I had the, the PTSD, yeah. which is not something, I can't even believe I'm talking about this. And that's part of the problem. People don't want to talk about it. Yeah. yeah especially not problem. if you're a firefighter. You don't yeah. talk about the you, what, you probably feel like it's a weakness or something. You feel like it's a weakness. You don't want people to know, and you don't want people to think that somehow it makes you incompetent. Right. What it did so for me. So they treat you differently. After, yeah. yeah. It makes me more empathetic. It makes me more driven. It makes me all those things. And I think talking about it's incredibly important because it, it has makes to be done. Someone like me who who has never faced anything like that. Um, the closest thing I can do, I mean, other than <laughs> you could argue like a psychedelic or something, because <laughs> that 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 makes you feel other people's pain. Yeah. But I but I'm saying but I'm saying other than that, it's like this conversation. It's opening my eyes to a whole world that I had previously been blinded to, and and, and seeing it in graphic detail, and seeing these photos and um of, of your body and what's happened to you and what you've been through. 
it's it's mind-boggling and i think these conversations raise awareness they increase empathy yeah. it people are here and they're like wow i had no idea that's what it was really like you know yeah. and and those so in other words i just think it's very important that we're that we talk yeah. about it you know going along a railroad track after somebody's been hit with biohazard bags and picking up body parts and saying trick-or-treat that's not normal behavior but that's what we do to get through life that's how we have to do it because we have to when when you see legs folded over when you see limbs ripped off when you see yeah. people cut in half you have to find a way to deal with that and we deal with it a lot of times with gallows humor yeah. some people become very sensitive to it some people become numb to it numb to it very good and uh we do need to start having these conversations. And honestly, I believe the, uh, the float tank is going to be so much more helpful for people with PTS than people imagine. Yeah. If we can get the word out, which honestly is the reason I'm here. I want this to survive because I want to use it. Right. And because I want my friends to be able to use it. And I've seen the results. Right. It may not be the first or second time, but you're going to see them. Yeah, usually... Uh, just for the mental part. I'm not talking about the physical yet. Just the mental. Yeah. You, I, think you'll, I think you'll see the baseline uh, is about three floats. Three floats is uh, when, when they studied... They've done a lot of studies on floating, especially at the uh, Liber Institute. Um, and I think it's about... Oh, I'm trying to think of the exact numbers. I could, I could pull it up, but, but it's, it's 50 to 80% or something like that. Uh, chronic pain that you can eliminate in three oh. floats. Yeah. As far as as far as just physical, why you're you know yeah, and I mean you've you've already felt it. You're, Absolutely, you're in chronic pain. So I I guess I could just ask you because we don't need to reference a study. Yeah. We can just say what was your pain level like when you're floating. My pain level when I go in would put most people unconscious, is what doctors tell me. Most people cannot handle it. Uh, at a thousand morphine equivalents, five times the legal limit. Uh, meaning, if you took my medication. I could kill probably five people with the amount of meds that I was taking. Wow. I still felt pain through all of that. The first time I didn't feel pain was when I was floating. Wow. That was the first time. And I had kind of an experience like you, not, not quite as intense. I'm kind of jealous about that. But I remember laying there. There's plenty more floats to come. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I used some of the, when you're doing confined space and you're doing some of the really nasty stuff that we do, um, I learned different techniques that are basically based on like Lamaze, different breathing and, you know, activating different muscle systems. And I start going through every muscle system, muscle system, you know, squeeze, mm -hmm. relax, mm -hmm. and just all the way down. Mm -hmm. And that first one I got and said, I, I, when can I go again? Yeah. When can I go again? Yeah. And it's, and it was probably, you probably noticed how much more awareness you have of each one of those exactly. intricate systems yeah. because there's, and I, and I couldn't feel pain. I was trying to cause pain in them and I couldn't, it, it sounds ridiculous. That's, it sounds like a miracle. And <laughs> my wife had a different experience. Uh, she agreed to keep going back, but she had some fears surrounding, mm -hmm. you know, for some different things. Mm -hmm. But she she recognized it, and she she wants to see this thing work as much too because she saw me have a moment of pain, pain free. If I can get ten minutes of mental relief, 
that's like six hours it's of recharging physical. the battery oh, yeah it absolutely is yeah and i run it down uh, every day to the point that i'll fall asleep with a fork full of food trying to come up to my mouth and it, that's just yeah it just it, it's exhausting right so it's it's the it's the physical relief but it's also the it's just as much about mental relief it, it's I, for me i think even more so right so you're you're I mean, and let's try to take this to a, maybe a more standardized everyday life type of okay. scenario. Like, let's just say I'm a, I'm a regular a regular guy who's in a, a nine to five that's stressful. Um, you know, a lot of people can relate to that. A lot of people can relate to the barrage of bills. A lot of people can relate to just, I mean, and, and anyone's, anyone's dealing with stress in different ways, right? And so... You, you don't have to be some hero taking bullets or, no. or ripping cars on no. fire apart, right? To benefit from, from this breather, from reality. Absolutely. Like everyone could use a breather from reality once in a while. And it, you, you know, when your batteries are getting depleted, you really, you can't pour from an empty cup. Exactly. If the juice isn't there, it's not there. And so that's what burnout is. It's like we're trying to pour and the cup's empty. And so we need to, self-love self-care let's let's focus on ourselves first put the air mask over your own face before yeah. you try to help the person next to you on the airplane i right? wish i would have learned that <laughs> i don't know why i'm so stupid but that was the one thing i never learned but yeah when it comes to just regular people you know regular joe blow regular job but he's got still got stress at home mm -hmm. he's still got stress with the wife there's traffic there are way too many people moving into this area. They're, connect, they're disconnected from nature a lot of the time, exactly. under fluorescent lights. Flu exactly. Diet's a huge factor. Yeah. All these things are, you know, it's in, in, in the mainstream modern society we're in now. It's just, you got to swim against the current to live a happy, healthy life. Oh, yeah. It's hard. It's hard to be happy, healthy all the time. You remember the Cleavers. You remember Leave it to Beaver. Uh -huh. And every time, uh, what was his name? Walt? Anyway, uh, who was Mrs. Cleaver? What was her name again? It's been so long uh, since I've Remember, been every time he walks through the door, she hands him a, a martini. Oh, yeah, instantly. Just yeah. throw it back. <laughs> so, so, I, so I asked a psychologist about that once, and I said, why is it we have so many mental issues today? And he says, honestly, go back and watch an episode of Leave it to Beaver, and you'll see that people, the way that they dealt with stress was they'd stop at the bar and have a couple yep, of drinks on the way home. Ignore as it. soon as they got home, they, you yeah. know, dealt with pain. Mask it up. And I'm not, I don't have any problem with drinking, believe me. Um, I don't have any issues with that at all. But using that as a crutch was what people were doing. When they stopped doing that and that became not as socially acceptable, Yeah. you have to find something else. Yeah. So if you're going to take 10 minutes for yourself and say, I'm going to decompress why not do it something like this where it also has those other benefits? Well, it's, 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 it's almost like a concentrated dose of decompression. Yeah. So, so you're getting, I don't know. I feel like after I float for an hour, it's like a good night's sleep. It's, it's like that feeling yeah, you get. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, I feel rested after 30 minutes and yeah. I don't after 12 minutes of medication and do sleep. Right, right. It's, Sorry, 12, 12 hours of medication. Right, because they're different types of sleep. <laughs> they're totally exactly. different sleep. And and so one thing that's um, been proven, or shown, I should say, with uh, floating that's great is is what happens to the brain. So 
your brain has this uh, this frequency that it emits, mm-hmm. right? It's electromagnetic kind of frequency, and so when we're when we're alert and focused, we're usually like in a in an alpha and beta beta state. So when you're conscious, those are the states that you're in. Um, when you get into sleep and you're dreaming, you're in a theta state. Mm-hmm. And then when you're in REM sleep, when you're completely unconscious, like not even there, when time just doesn't exist, that's that's delta wave. So those are the slowest. So so alpha being the fastest and delta being the slowest. Um, well, and then there's gamma somewhere in that spectrum as well. But my point is, is the theta wave state is is where you're at when you're dreaming. And it's also where you're at when you're like, if you look at an experienced med- meditator who has 10,000 hours yeah, of meditation right. and they look at their brain while they're meditating, it's a theta wave state. Now, somebody in a float tank for 30 minutes, theta wave state. Wow. Somebody with no training, somebody not doing anything or trying anything, you're still going to be in a theta wave state. So that's powerful. What that is is, oh, a, that's short, that is, is a shortcut. The barrier to entry was 10,000 hours. <laughs> it was a bunch of meditation to figure out how to get there consciously. And now you have a shortcut. We have a giant tool. It's called shut off the outside world. Take this portal to the inner world. Take this shortcut. And now all of a sudden your brain is in a totally different conscious state while you're awake. And it's not just it's not just about resting. It's not just about uh, I mean, that's where it starts. Like if you're, if you're, in, if your cup's empty, if you're having these physical issues or burnout issues or stress or mental problems, PTSD, mm-hmm. all these things, that's instantly where you start. You start where the pain is, right? right. And we, we, we address that first. Now, now let's say fast forward a ways and, and you feel better and you feel, now let's say you're just a healthy person. Like yeah. heaven forbid we have healthy people. Like that'd be awesome, right? So let's get people to, to healthy first. But I mean, I, I didn't, want to stop floating just because I got healthy. Yeah. Like I wanted to float more because no, now, now I'm, now I'm in this, now I'm in exploration mode. Yeah. Now, no reason to stop ever. Now I use it for problem solving, for yeah. creativity, for uh, all kinds of things. I mean, life, big life choices, right? Like what better way to, to make a decision than spend 60 minutes with nothing else in the yeah, world clear, yeah. going on besides that right and let it develop organically and see it grow inside of you and then manifest as a future like that that's a powerful like it sounds it sounds silly to say make a decision and make it sound like it's so simple but i've 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 had experiences where it's like floating you can experience a future reality that like a potential right Right. like a potential reality towards yeah and it's and it's more than just foresight or or seeing a seeing a possibility like a multiple choice of options it's it's more like embodying a future that exists simultaneously but it's in the future right it's 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 in a different reality and it just hasn't come to pass yet and so once you realize that and you feel that and it's real to you in that moment, then it's like, oh yeah, that feeling, that emotion I felt, that heartbeat, that fluttering right, I got right. when I when I saw myself traveling the world with my girlfriend, that felt so good. I'm gonna go do that. That's yeah. gonna be that's gonna that's be the cool. reality that I bring into the world or whatever it is, right? Like whatever whatever goal setting it is that you want or whatever limiting beliefs that you need to eradicate. All those things are possible. Um, not just with float tanks, a lot of ways are possible. Float tanks just happen to be like this shortcut, like this, this great medium for that type of work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you touched on a, a, I think, I think a really good point that a lot of people don't consider is that sleep. Now you take a person like myself because of the way that I worked, 
I'd work up to 112 hours in a row, um, several times. You know, just shift, shift, shift. You're saying without sleep? Yeah, just just station to station to station to station to station. Four days? Six days, five and a half days. Oh my god, is that even possible? It's a lot of us do it. Guys are out there working 96 hour shifts. They're driving. Um, Drive. It's it's ugly. Yeah, it's ugly out there. Most I've ever done is 23 calls in one shift, but uh, that's just that was just me. You know, I mean, there are that's, other stations. that's like physical impairment over the legal drinking limit oh, by a long shot. It, it is. Mean, you're you're so fatigued at that point. It, it's stupid. Uh, I've had guys wake up. I remember one guy woke up and looked at me and said, uh, I, "I'm I'm sorry. I I don't know. Are we taking the big truck or the little truck? Meaning the ambulance or yeah. or something." Um, but that confusion, uh, anyway, the, the point that I want, yeah, and they ask us to do complex tasks like run mega codes on yeah. after you've been working for 24 hours and your eyes are so bleary you can't tell if you put your uniform on right or not. But um, the level of professionalism and drive is there. And when the adrenaline hits, people will step up and very, you know, very few mistakes. Medics do a really good job, firefighters do. But the sleep deprivation, uh, I was, again, just a little bit unique because I worked for so many agencies, and I would bounce from one to the other 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 and then come back. So I got to where the adrenaline never shut off for seven years. And events started happening to me like I would sit bolt upright, absolute panic, could not tell where I was. I'd have to look around and try to start matching pictures with places. Uh, I had to have my wife pack both of my uniforms all the time so I wouldn't show up without a uniform. And I'd have these night terrors where I'd get up and I'd run out of the house up and down the street looking for kids, all these, anyway, ugly stuff. But the point is, when I did a sleep study, they said, we don't believe you've had... REM sleep in over 20 years. So I went from, I won't tell you because it's none of the point, but I went from a genius IQ to getting lost on the way home, not knowing where I was going, not remembering what I was doing, not remembering my own wife's name or the dog's name. And for any of those out there doing shift work, and I'm not talking about just firefighters or police officers, right. anybody, that REM sleep, it's, man, it's, it, it works. This, this thing. It's nature's healing mechanism. Uh, I mean, that's what it is. Without it, you go goofy, you, you die. go nuts, you get insane. Eventually, Ugh, you die. You do. Yeah. They like, say you can live longer without water than you can without sleep. Yeah, probably. Um, it's, it's, uh, yeah, we, we should really harp on that too. Sleep is the number one factor to health. So if if you're working a job or, or anything else where it's it's you know resulting in no sleep, that's you doing the yourself no favors. Absolutely, you're doing your body absolutely no favors. Um, diet comes second to sleep. Exercise comes second to sleep. It it all comes second to sleep. You know, I was reading this uh, book called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. He's a PhD uh, from Stanford, I think. And, uh, or no, Cal, I think University of Cal. But um, he was on Joe Rogan's podcast and I was fascinated by the podcast. So I, I was reading the book and getting a little bit more intimate with this, with the 
the evidence, but essentially what he was saying is your, your brain, why you're conscious, your brain is experiencing micro brain damage. So being conscious results in this micro brain damage, but then that gets repaired as you hit REM sleep. So each night, you know, the, the mic, it's like this, this byproduct of, I forgot what the fluids called or whatever, but your brain produces this like byproduct of it being awake and working and operating. And so, and so it has to go and restore and repair in this, you know, period of time during REM sleep. Well, if you just start skipping REM sleep and you just stop, stop that reparation from happening, essentially you're just going to increase the level of damage to the brain over and it's just going to build up and build up. And, and, and if you look at any species of, animal on earth none of them will purposely avoid sleep none of them the only the only way they'll ever sleep less than the ideal amount of time for their species is if they're starving and they need to put an extra hour or two to hunting that's the only time you'll ever see an animal species uh deprive itself of any kind of sleep as if it's starving to death so it's like why are we doing it on purpose every day why, why is it that we put our doctors, our firefighters, yeah, our all of our best, our nurses, our most important uh, people, <laughs> the most important people out there, we give them the toughest shifts and say, deal with it. Yeah. And it, I don't mean to say that, you know, during that, uh, the longest I ever worked in a row was 112 hours, had 12 off, then went back 12. I'm not going to say that I didn't get some downtime during then, but you sleep in your uniform. Right. It's not terribly comfortable. Uh, some stations have barracks. Some have individual rooms. But you're expected to be up at 07, and you're expected to do everything, and you run your calls, and everything is done before you move on, and then you yeah. go over and you start and do it again. Yeah, and It's not recommend. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Well, it made me an old healthy. man very quickly. Yeah, not if you want to be healthy. Um, but, yeah, that, that sleep is probably... Uh, I think it's probably one of the very biggest things that people don't recognize about the floating is what it does for their sleep and how important it is for repairing. Yeah. I mean, you're mentally, you're letting your brain finally, it's like, finally, finally, we're like all of the stuff that we've been, that we've been, um, putting off we've been putting off all of this repair right it's been building right. up in this queue and right. it's like log jammed and it's bursting at the seams waiting yep. to happen and you finally close the lid to the tank and it's like ah oh. well I, I can't wait till you get yours up i'm going to be over every night <laughs> good <laughs> um no i'm really excited i actually just got the uh the floor plan sketched out nice. i'm hoping to get the plans drafted this week and um for those of you listening, this will probably be a reality. Uh, I don't want to say exactly what month it's going to be opening, but it'll be in the summer. Nice. That's my that's my um, timeline right now. So um, St. George, Southern Utah area, absolutely come float in the summer. And we need it. We've got so many. We've got so many vets. We've got so many police officers. So many people with with PTSD. We need these resources yeah. here. Th- these are all. I mean. We've kind of, for the most of this conversation, we've been talking about <clears throat> extreme examples. Yeah, truly. We've, we've been we've been talking about people who are probably the most in need. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't, like I said, that doesn't mean that everyone's life couldn't yeah. be benefiting. And 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 I and I don't want to just only make this about floating because it, there's a lot of other ways yeah. to help too. But for me, and this is why I'm opening a float center and I'm so passionate about it, is I just don't know of anything else that 
is so effective in so little amount of time. And also that has such a low barrier to entry. So it doesn't take like, like I'm a huge fan of yoga. I've, I've done ever since that float experience we talked about, I've, I've been doing yoga ever since then. I did my, uh, my 200 hour yoga teacher training in Asia and, and I'm, I'm into it. Like it it just makes my life better in a lot of ways. So I'm just going to keep doing it. But I understand the barrier to entry to yoga. When I first got into yoga, I like I did my first hot yoga class. I almost passed out. And <laughs> the only thing that kept me in that room was the fact that there was like this 65-year-old lady yeah. next to me. I said, I don't want to go down in front of any girls. <laughs> she was she's like 65 and she's just killing it. And I, I couldn't like walk out if she's gonna stay in, you know? So I, I forced myself to stay. But but my point is is like it was brutal. And especially with that screw in my hip, I had so oh, much man. lower back pain. I was starting to have sciatica issues with my, yeah. with my, uh, lower spine and stuff. And so, I mean, some of those postures, it's like pure pain, you know, you're sitting, your leg starts cramping, you're, you're you sit back on your feet. If, if you're anyone who's just wearing shoes every day, just, it's easy to test, just sit on your feet, see how long until they start screaming yeah. at you. Right. Good point. Good like that's point. a good little canary in the coal mine to let you know, you know, where your, where your body's at. So yoga, like I recommend all kinds of, of things like that, but there's a barrier there. Yeah. Meditation for the mental aspect of, of, of relieving your mind and for going, getting out of that monkey mind that's constantly stressed out. Sure. That's constantly, you know, running all these worst case scenarios and anxiety and all those things. Like people need a, a, a breather from that. Well, how ask anyone who's tried to meditate. It's like, how hard is it to turn that into a habit? you know, where you're meditating every day. It's really, it takes some discipline. It, it takes some discipline. A lot of people can't do it daily. I, I don't even meditate daily, and it's something that I value really highly. Um, so so floating is just one of those things where yeah. there's one no... one of those modalities. There's just no physical barrier where it's like, for most people, for 99% of people, there's there's no reason why you couldn't get in the float tank, you know? I mean, if if you're in a situation where you've got a bunch of open wounds and burns yeah, and things, yeah. it's a different story. Like, it would be hell to climb into a float tank with a bunch of burns. And so, since, we, since I brought it up, you just <laughs> went through a pretty horrendous oh. experience. How long ago? Uh, yeah, so... I had a number of heat injuries, a couple of them that were nearly fatal. And if you're familiar with heat injuries, I caught on fire in a fire once. How ironic is that? Uh, but uh, you know how they predispose you to more heat injuries. So. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, you get one, and and they get they get worse. Uh, May thirty, uh, May sorry, June twenty second of. 2017 i was changing my June 20 seconds my birthday oh is it well congratulations i lit you a nice candle <laughs> i was uh changing my fuel tank on my truck uh doing everything approved using a transfer pump using uh, approved containers and most likely a uh, a static electricity spark came and it blew and it blew right in my face knocked me out of the garage ended up on the uh front uh uh front patio sorry front driveway patio driveway and it continued pumping fuel in the house so i ripped off all my clothes that were on fire and pools of flaming gasoline and went and saved my truck and my tools and the house and everything else with the little garden hose as i was doing that i could feel the 
the skin sloughing off. I could feel my hair burning off. I could feel, he's got the pictures here, but I'm bald. My ears wrecked. My face is drooping. All the eyes. Barely, barely looks like you. Yeah. Barely looks like you. The, the, the last thing that my wife heard before they loaded me on a life flight was if he lives, he will have no face and no arms. The first time a doctor saw me, they said, first of all, that you're not ever supposed how you survive. This is impossible. Um, but because it was all upper chest, it was circumferential, it was lungs, it was, um, throat, trachea, ears, eyes, everything. And uh, the first time I met with a surgeon, he said, you'll be here in, in uh, intensive care for at least four months. And we're looking at least four major surgeries. I walked out a month later and you can't see a burn on me. So how, what's the disconnect there? The disconnect is that they weren't counting on a salty old <laughs> bastard firefighter who as soon as he put the vehicle out, instantly turned the hose on himself and not just sprayed out the fire, but kept cooling all the tissues. So I took third and what they call full partial thickness uh, burns, what you know as a fourth degree, third and fourth degree burns all to either third, but mostly first. So you, you did a lot of damage control. I did while all you, the damage while you were waiting yeah. for the ambulance. Yeah, there's a there's actually a chart, a, a time versus fire and temperature chart, and it's flat, and then it hits about 19, 20 seconds somewhere in there, and then just goes asymptotic, just goes straight. Oh, up. I see. So if once and you hit, a, your body can withstand it. It's to a, a point. certain amount. Yep. And I made it, and I went back after I got back home, walked it all off, and figured I made that by maybe one or two seconds the whole event took place in about 18 seconds so why i mean why go back in and save all that yeah i mean (laughs) if you knew having like your background it's like i mean even not having your background the feeling of burning flesh i can imagine like the hose would be going right to me (laughs) like straight to Uh, me yeah i i have a pretty expensive truck i had a lot of tools (laughs) i just put brand new 38s on it at twenty seven hundred dollars the I truck's irrelevant if you hit 20 seconds. Thought, Man, <laughs> I, I am not. Yeah, probably. But I just, it's one of those things I didn't even think about. It was, I saw fire and I did what I did. Right, right. Programming and, from all those years yeah. firefighting. And it's banked down to where I actually have to crawl underneath and I can feel it peeling off my back. And <sighs> it was nuts. But um, I did it all without opiates. And... Uh, Dude, that doesn't make any sense. Like when I saw the photos and then yeah. you saying you did it all without opiates, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That's the, crazy. The University of Utah didn't like that either. So we did ketamine and ketamine was a lifesaver, but I ended up spending about uh, six weeks, not quite two, eight weeks in uh, ICUs, burn centers, and then uh, long-term care facilities. Wow. So... Um, and the, the irony, um, and I, and I think you said you're going to link some of the pictures. Yeah. If you're, if you're okay with it, I would absolutely, uh, they're graphic, but it would be. Yeah. Definitely viewer discretion advice, but we want to show the reality of what someone has been through and these things can actually do. So, uh, I broke my back very, very badly. Uh, they did a surgery in 2010. It was an absolute failure. 
did another one in uh, 2015, January 9th, 2015. So which one was the, which one did they put the, the metal into your body? Was that the 10 Both or 15? Both of them actually. Okay. But the 15 was a big one. Okay. So it was between the two surgeries, five years apart. Now in 2015, you have how much metal in your body? Because I saw the x-ray and yeah. it, was, it was ridiculous. Like uh, just well, hardware all the way up your spine. It, it's, it's 10 feet, 10 full feet of hardware. Oh. If you can imagine it. The surgery was done in 18 and a half hours, which is, you talk to anybody, any medical professional, and most of them have never even heard of an 18 and a half hour surgery. Right, because <laughs> how do you keep separation somebody, of twins? And then how do you keep one. somebody like split open for that long too? That's an interesting question. Um, they, uh, they kept coming out and give me my wife reports and they would tell them how I was doing and how much blood loss I had lost. And the anterior approach, uh, meaning it started down by the pubic bone and then went up and actually goes around the belly button, took them six and a half hours to cut through. That was just to get to the back. Then they pull the guts out, throw those to the side, go in through the side, pull the guts out there, and then do that 30-inch incision that is that picture you saw. Yeah. Then they went in and actually pulled the spine back a little over three and a half inches. And if so, you've never heard of this, it's because it was the first time it was ever done. But it was done right here at Dixie Dixie Regional. So they, mo yeah, and I saw the before and after, but they moved your spine. A so little over, slightly over three and a half they, inches. Were they pulling it yeah. up? Pull, pulled it back okay. towards the back. Now, the crazy thing about this is I refused to give up my life. And sometime around May of the next year, so not quite a year, I had a fall and broke all that titanium. <sighs> but we didn't know it. I just thought it was more pain, but I became housebound, couldn't leave my house for months at a time. And we finally found somebody. We were, uh, you'll love this. We were going through Netflix. And I love to walk document, doc, documentaries, especially medical documentaries. Came across a medical documentary called The Bleeding Edge. And it's about how the FDA approves or disapproves mechanical devices for surgical use. And it starts describing this doctor who went absolutely insane. And my wife looks at me and says, that's you. Because of some toxic metal exposure? They had used cobalt. Ah. So she, this is when I was, I couldn't remember my name, couldn't remember dog's name, couldn't remember her name. I would go out and not remember why I was driving or where I was supposed to be. Couldn't remember how to get home. I just keep driving until something looked familiar. Uh, and you can imagine how that will affect your life when you literally That's essentially can't Alzheimer's. remember anything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I will have Alzheimer's. Um, but they figured this out. This doctor actually went crazy, went absolutely insane. They chased it down to the cobalt poisoning. And so we immediately ran down and got a cobalt test. And it was 150-something percent higher than maximum allowed. And it had taken my hair, my vision, my eyes sorry, my hearing had taken my memory, my proprioception, couldn't walk. It's fallen everywhere. Like 90% of this conversation is you, you talking to me about <laughs> this crazy shit and me going, how is this guy sitting on my couch? We, we don't know. 
So 18 and a half hour surgery to put this stuff in, um, lose so much blood, I go below what's uh, called, um, there's a hemoglobin and hematocrit, which was uh, is a blood level that measures your ability to carry oxygen as well as the amount of hemoglobin. It had gone below three. There are no... There is no literature on something below three. Okay. At 15, they won't even poke your blood for a, 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 a glucose sample. And I, uh, I ran into a gal at the hospital once, and she caught my name, and she stopped me, and she said, are you? And I said, I am. And she says, my God, you're alive. And I said, do I know you? And she said, no, but I worked your blood four and a half years ago. None of us thought it was possible for anybody to live through that. Would it be okay if I told my fellow? And I said, absolutely. So after that all happened, when they found out I had cobalt poisoning, 18 and a half hours to put it in, three hours to pull it out. And my wife says my personality changed within the hour. After waking up, I was a completely different person. Wow. So now we're trying I mean, to get yeah, all the cobalt you, you out. You were physically completely, oh, yes. I mean, you were pounds lighter. You just removed yeah. a bunch of metal. Yeah. <laughs> it was permanent weight loss. If I could have <laughs> only lost a leg, I would really be in better shape. Wow. That's crazy. Um, I mean, and at the same time, I had damaged my neck badly enough that I couldn't use my fingers or arms. And so they had to do a, a neck at the same time. We'll have to redo that. And uh, then, unfortunately, between the two back surgeries... I had a what's called a Nissen's fundaplectomy, 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 whatever. Basically, my stomach blew up, hiatal hernia, and they repaired it. But when it exploded, recently when it herniated, herniated into the gall channel on top of the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve controls uh, everything, parasympathetic nervous system, like rest and digest, right? All that heart rate, breathing rate, yeah. vascular system. So I'd be sitting talking to my wife and I would go blank and start stuttering and stammering like an idiot. I'd fall over, couldn't stand and She'd take my blood pressure to be 60 over 40, which is your kidneys can only live for a matter of minutes at that. And so she learned how to start IVs and we would start IVs and hang them from the chandelier at home. And we managed to stay out of the hospital five or six times from that. But I've got to have that repaired now. So, so right at this point, like how much hardware do you still have in your body? Uh, man, it's hard to say. Probably less than half a pound. Okay. But the cobalt's gone now, which is the important part. Okay. So we think. Progress. Pro definitely progress. Yeah. And, and after these last this last surgery, uh, we may be able to get some back relief and start walking straight. Wow, that's that's stand up. Wow. Um, yeah, going from that kind of career to not being able to put on your own shirt or being able to walk more than a hundred feet right. is a mind job. Right. It right. will eat you alive right. if you don't put your mind in the right place. I mean, yeah, you're going from somebody not just capable of of being you and doing what you want to do and being healthy, but capable of helping others. Exactly. Right? Capable of pulling people out of fires. And then all of a sudden you can't, now you need the help. No, not going just to do the, the little stuff. Going from the caregiver to the caregiven is the toughest thing that I ever do. Yeah. It is, it is absolutely horrible. It's the worst thing. Having someone take care of me 
that's my job. That's not their job. Mm. That's what I was born for. I was, I well, was born to take care of other people, not be a burden. I don't know about that though. <laughs> I think we're all born to take care of each other. Yeah, that's probably because, true too. Be, because I mean, you can't, you can't, like, you can't just always be the giver. If you, if I, you are, you'll, I'm be, learning you'll, that. you'll empty out. Right? Finally, at nearly 50 years old, I'm learning I have actually got to stop and take a rest because I can't keep falling asleep in my food. Yeah. Uh, my wife is going to smack me upside the head. So, yeah, one of my, my biggest goals and intentions with uh, when I, after having that, that kind of awakening in the float tank and then, you know, trying to figure out what I was going to do because, you know, my story is a little little interesting i guess but um i i'd been in a so so i guess to backtrack a little i had uh grown up in a fundamentalist mormon community oh, okay yeah okay oh that's right you yeah, yeah we, we talked about that yeah, yeah briefly we did yeah yeah so, some mutual friends that we knew yeah. yeah and um so i grew up i grew up in colorado city and uh then when i was 12 we moved to centennial park just across the hill and it, it wasn't when I was uh, probably 20 years old um, started. That's when I like had graduated high school, done the, the, the missionary thing. Right. And then um, moved to Las Vegas to take a job. Well, Salt Lake first and then from there to Las Vegas for the job. And uh, that's when I really kind of decided to walk away from the like I had had one foot in and one foot out for a few years and mm-hmm. decided to walk away from, from the religion and from everything that I had grown up believing. So that was kind of like this plunge into the dark sort of yeah. search for meaning type of thing. Right. And the, the thing is, is I, I to to get through that. My mechanism was work and party. Right. So make a bunch of money, drink a lot. Yeah. Party. Like, don't think about it. And, um, numb it or whatever right yeah which i think is pretty common i mean we have a really we have a strong alcohol culture in the united states and that's pretty much the drug of choice for most people so that's what i was doing and um and in vegas it's easy to do oh yeah it's easy to find access for that so it wasn't until i had um some some experiences um with with psychedelics um that i started to like primarily the, the first experience I guess I'd mentioned is this experience I had the first time I ever mm-hmm. took MDMA, which is the, if you're not a familiar, you are familiar with MDMA. Yeah, okay. So much. it's the, yes, this for you listening, it's the, um, the main ingredient in ecstasy for, you know, and pure Molly or MDMA is essentially the, the love drug or whatever you want to call yeah. it. But it's, it's a, it's a really fascinating compound, um, that, they call an empathogen and it gave me this experience of pure, just unfiltered, unadulterated love for myself and for everyone around me at this bunch of strangers. I was at a, I was at a rave, I was right. at a festival. So it was, right. it was like all these strangers and all of a sudden I felt love for this bald dude named Steve who was like <laughs> overweight and I just wanted to give him a hug and tell him, you know, it's like, you know, I love I, you, Steve. <laughs> yeah. And that sounds absolutely silly, but really the takeaway from that experience was it was, it changed me so fundamentally. I just wanted to start taking better care of myself. Sure. So this, the self-destructive 
self-deprecating behavior of, of constant drinking and those types of things. That's what I knew I needed to change and I needed to get healthier. Yeah. I needed to lose some weight. I mean, I was, I'm, I was about 30, 40 pounds heavier back then. So that's what I did. I, I focused on my health a lot and cleaned up my, my lifestyle a little bit. Uh, then I had an experience with the first time I ever experienced uh, LSD and that was, I, and I had been, I'd been in this job for five years, making a lot of money. I was set up and um, in, in a good position in the company, you know, like in good standing, ma managing a few people, you know, things mm -hmm. were going well, six figures a year, three years in a row, like trajectory looked good. Nothing, nothing to, no reason to slow down. Right. And, but there was something wrong. There was something missing. It's like the thing that I'd filled my life with because I had this void to fill from the from the, you know, leaving the religion and leaving this community and all the things that I had, you know, previously been standing on, right? The thing I filled it up with didn't really leave me full. It didn't leave me satisfied and full of meaning. It, it, it left me wanting, right? It's like, like all, all this money, yeah, all this burn. money was supposed to, <laughs> yeah, supposed to solve my problems, right? And obviously it doesn't, right? No. Um, so this, this... The problem is, is when you're comfortable and when you're in this cycle, right? You're, it's, it's, it's like, well, the money's too good to walk away, right? right? My position's too good to walk away and really go figure it out for myself. It, it's, it's. I think that's a danger for most people. A lot of people. It's this they um, get comfort stuck. zone. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And until you step out of that, there's not the growth that you need. And in a lot of cases, there's not the the taking care right. of you that you need to be able to take care right. of other people, which was a part that I missed. Right. Take that, care of yourself first. Exactly. And so then, then the castle that you built becomes a prison. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It right. really does. So, but this, this experience I had with LSD, it, it, it was like, I saw that with totally new eyes and all of a sudden this thing that was a hard choice to make this, this thing I knew in the back of my mind I wanted to do, but I didn't know how to do it seemed so blatantly obvious and easy that after that experience, I just quit. I just came back and quit. So I didn't know what I was going to do. Like I really didn't, but I, I knew that the next step wasn't this, like I had to grow beyond this and that was just my path. And so, um, yeah, after that, I just went out exploring, trying to figure out what to do. I, you know, as you, as I, as I mentioned, I drank a lot. So I'm like, Oh, I'll, I'll be a bartender. Like I'm good at making drinks. Yeah. Right. So, and, and that's fun. Making so, people happy. Yeah, make, exactly. <laughs> right. Social, it's fun. Meet people. So I did that for, for a couple months, but then right, right as I just started that job, I had that float tank experience mm -hmm. and it was like, Oh wow, this is, this is something totally different. Like now I, now it's like I had reconnected to something else that was this voice in me saying, we're going to go on a journey. Like we're going to leave all of this behind. This whole narrative is, is, is old news. And I made plans to, um, to take off, um, started writing, started my blog, booked a one way flight to South America, uh, to go do this plant medicine, um, and do some soul searching. And, uh, right before I took off on that trip, is when I met my girlfriend who you, who you just met earlier. Right. Um, and, and she seems have, too good for you. <laughs> she is. <laughs> and things have, things have uh, really panned out in a way I could never have imagined as good far as, as far as um, where I'm at now. I'm unbelievably grateful for that. 
and I'm, I'm at the, you know, I, I traveled for a year. We, I at South America by myself, but then came back and me and Lily got together and I followed her to Asia and we did that for several months and traveled around, um, the Western U S and Western Canada for a couple months and just had this unbelievable year, um, of self care of, of dealing, of, of allowing ourselves to have fun and be playful and right. allowing ourselves to explore what it is that we want to do outside of just the regular little cage that society had built for us, right? The, the little hamster wheel that everyone's, you know, built for us. So, um, now, now, because I had taken that time, because I had taken that, that I, I, at the time I had left, I had no clue. I had no idea where this was going to take me. I had no idea it was going to be floating. I had no idea of any of this stuff, but I gave my, I gave it a chance to, to grow organically. Like I just, I just yeah. went out with, with no, with no real destination in sight, but with a, I guess a direction or something. Any preconceptions at all when you started? Um, I mean... I thought I was honestly, I thought that it was going to be blogging. I thought I was just going to be like traveling and right. writing about stuff, you know, found out really quickly that that started, that that wasn't really it. Like I, it started to feel like work. You yeah. Know what I mean, it started yeah. to feel like if, if I had to do, like it's, it was, it was interesting and I liked doing it, but if this was something I had to do for money, I wouldn't, right. I wouldn't have liked it. Um, so th then I was just like, well, th there's not, a, I mean, I need to, I love floating. Like, why don't I just open a float center? Um, and I considered all the places I could do that. And my travels, I explored these different cities and where, I, you know, could I open one here? Could I open one here? Um, and I ended my trip in Southern Utah and it was like getting to know the place for the first time. It was like, it was like, um, coming back and, and meeting it for the first time, having been off and traveling and yeah. changing my perspective and my lens through which I experienced the world has shifted so much that when I came back, I was just in love. It's like, wow, this is the most beautiful part of the planet. And I grew up here right, right. <laughs> and I didn't Eyes even closed. know, like I had no idea. Eyes wide closed. Yeah, exactly. Watching everything go by. And so now I'm, now I'm ready to, uh, take, well, hopefully anything that I've, that I've learned and, and hopefully now my, with my cup feeling pretty full. I feel really, really blessed. I feel like it's time to, to give. Now's the time to give back. Yeah. Absolutely. And the cool thing about giving, like the cool thing about love is, you know, there's not a finite amount of it. So if you open up the gates of love and you shine it out to the world, it's not like you're going to lose that love. No. It's just going to give it to more people and everyone wins. It's not a zero sum game. So my, my, and this is where I want to go next with this this chat is how I want to give with with floating. I want to I want to make this something anyone can can do. I want to make it affordable. Um, I want to make it especially approachable for who we've been talking about: right. veterans, PTSD survivors, firefighters, first responders, all those types of people. I don't want like financial like I don't I don't want it to be something where it's oh, I wish I could float but it's too expensive. Or I wish I could float, but I have claustrophobia or any of those things, right? Like I want it to be yeah. no barrier to entry. And I, I see us being able to do something like that. We've got an NPO in place dealt, uh, designed specifically to deal with sufferers of PTSD, period. Right, Doesn't so matter that's you where and your come. wife? Yes. That have this nonprofit? Yeah. What's that yeah. called? It's called Sixes, No One Left Behind. Okay, so if if anyone listening wanted to connect with you guys or 
or find anything more about your nonprofit? Is there any way that anywhere they can go for that? The uh, website is under construction because we just finally got our EIN and final approval from the state, the registration. Wait, literally just before the holidays. Okay. So the website is non-existent. We've been working on the other one. But if anybody was to go to 408 Works, okay, um, you can just type that into a Google search engine, and that will find the parent company. Six is as part of that. Yeah, so is your website 408works.com? Yeah, 408works.com. And that's, that's, your, that's your tour company, right? Yeah. Okay. And we, we do that. Uh, the whole hope is to get uh, sufferers from PTS out into the desert out into the land, reconnecting, redoing, cool. letting things happen organically, you know, no uh, faith-based, no organization-based, just letting people be people and have the experience they have in, in a safe, controlled environment, but we just let it happen organically. And that's why we're so excited about this, because we see several modalities. There are some doctors here that are doing some really great stuff, with uh, ketamine, yeah, with you MDMA. We, you mentioned that when we spoke, yeah. and your wife had just done some ketamine yes, treatments. and had really good success. Yeah, I might have to have a chat with her about that. Yeah, um, MDMA coming along for the same reasons that you had that great experience. Most people hear of ecstasy, and they think about all the kids that overdose. And the overdoses are ugly. They present dead. Uh, we walk away and leave, and we've actually had people get up, walk out of hospitals, we couldn't tell that they weren't alive. Kind of a freaky thing. But uh, it's got kind of a bad rap. But used correctly, a lot of these drugs, these pharmaceuticals, are have that kind of that experience that you did where it opened you mm-hmm. to different possibilities. Well, well, it's like if you're flooding your, your brain with love hormones yeah. instead of stress yeah, hormones. Yeah, exactly. It's right. like Pitocin when a, a woman is, is pregnant. It's... You know, all that, all that love is needed. Yeah, I mean, you so you have a a, a rush of dopamine and serotonin. Exactly. And now all of a sudden, if if you were doing it in the like, because that's a huge key that you you touched on. You said doing it in the right way, in the right, right setting, and so with the right introspection and the right environment, yeah. you can use something like MDMA to turn inward. And if you are a sufferer of PTSD, yeah. uh, then then you're now in a state of of euphoria, love, compassion, empathy for yourself, for others, when you surface the trauma, when that comes up, right? right. And so um, MDMA-guided therapy, I think, is shows so much promise. And uh, yeah. like the, evi- the, 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 you know, the effects and the, the evidence that they're starting to show with the studies that they're doing at like Johns Hopkins and different. The VA is doing it now with, wow. with PTSD. Yeah, I think I think MDMA is the first ever illicit substance to just reach schedule or to reach uh, phase three clinical trials for FDA approval. So it's going to get scheduled. That's cool. Yeah, I think they're going to reschedule it. But that's really cool. Yeah. So that's I mean, and and I mean, of course, of course, there's going to be a bad rap. We we criminalized it. We it's a thing that can only be done underground. So the people doing it are doing it in the wrong environment. They're getting it from the wrong people. It's not tested stuff. It's not clear what you're even taking most of the stuff's cut with other stuff right and now there's like this epidemic of fentanyl and it's ending up all over the place and so people are getting it they're taking something they think will make them have a good time and then they're they're dying no fentanyl 
if you look at the, look at it historically, there is no drug right now that is more dangerous than fentanyl. Yeah, it kills more professionals, meaning doctors, nurses, anesthesiologists, than any other drug. You look at people like uh, one of the most famous ones I think is Heath Ledger. He didn't kill himself. The guy was a back patient. He took his fentanyl. He took whatever. It wasn't enough. He was in excruciating pain. Probably took another one. Probably took another one. And then when they finally hit, it was too much. Right. We watch this happen to people all the time. And it's just people trying to get away from, trying to get a break from that pain. Right. And that's where you ask me, how do I survive at the pain level? If I can get a few minutes where I can get my brain at peace, then I can deal with that a little bit different. But all these modalities that we're exploring all uh, all show potential and you know use together with uh, things like you know we talked about therapeutic massage we talked yeah. about some of the other things I, I hope to really be able to do some good things with uh, those people that have suffered absolutely one of the things we did talk about was this so with with my center I'm I'm right now the plan is to have uh, probably three float tanks two massage rooms excellent and then um and i've and i'm partnering with a uh amazing massage therapist um tyler hunt i ha did a podcast with him just recently yeah. and he's, he's i know a, of tyler oh do you yeah, yeah i do so he's he's likely gonna end up uh working with me and doing some massage through the float center but uh the other room that we're gonna have which is i'm really excited about is the it's a nordic spa room so we're gonna have a sauna and a cold plunge pool oh very cool so you can go back excellent and forth. for the vascular system great yeah it's great stress your body when you're in extreme temperature like that it produces yeah. like heat shock pro heat shock proteins and all this all these awesome like uh this this domino effect where your body becomes much more resilient. It's great for the immune system. Yeah. It's great for all kinds of things. So if you have an autoimmune problem, if anyone listening has an autoimmune problem, this is, could be a very attractive um, modality yeah. for addressing that. Like, and if you're familiar with Wim Hof and the Wim Hof method, um, putting yourself in extreme temperatures, in, in this instance, cold, uh, it, it shocks the immune system, the vascular system, all that stuff now has to, it gets this, this workout, right? Right. And moves blood from the extremities to the core and then from the core to the extremities right. and going back and forth from the sauna to the cold plunge pool is really powerful for that. Um, so that's something that's, I'm really just scratching my own itch. So we'll see, yeah. we'll see how many other people are, are interested in using I'm, it. But. I'm into that. I've, uh, there's, I don't know if you've looked into uh, hypothermia treatment, but it does exactly what you're talking about. Oh, really? there, there's actually a, a one uh, near that has a tank where you can go in and they, I forget how cold it gets, but it's, it's like cold. cryo or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's just cryo treatment. Liquid it's, nitrogen. Yeah. Just what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, well the stuff that what I'm actually going to be doing is a, a cold water. Yes. So it won't be nitrogen. Right. Um, it'll be uh, just a pool that, that filters through, uh, you know, obviously so the water will stay clean and everything, but then it filters through a condenser that cools it down. Oh, nice. So you can adjust the temperature all the way down to about 40 degrees, I think. Well, and it's so great for the vascular system because now the, most people don't realize the vascular system is their muscles. Mm -hmm. They have to be exercised, yeah. contracted, squeezed. You know, and the, it's, and it's the, the ultimate way to do that, that is cold. Absolutely. Because when you're cold, what happens is all those millions of little capillary muscles, they constrict and they force blood back to the core to protect yeah. your core. 
So it's it's uh, mammalian diving reflex they call that. Right. Exactly. And and the thing is, I mean, if you if you think about it, uh, to me this is so fascinating. Like we we evolved in nature. Like we're no different than a than a bear or a whale. I mean, we're we we evolved in nature. And the reality is, is nature is cold most of the time. It's cold. Um, there's ice ages that we, we we've lived through. There's Inuits right now living up at the top of the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're built for any environment yeah. on Earth. Like we can survive almost any environment and, and thrive in it. Our bodies are extremely adaptive. Well, what's happened since the dawn of agriculture and then eventually industrialization and modern society is you now have the human being feeling completely separate and cut off from his environment and from nature. And the environment's now four walls. Like the environment's right. now a house or it's a cubicle or it's a climate controlled car. So everything is everything that we're doing and we're, we're trying to insulate ourselves from nature. We're trying to insulate ourselves from those extremes and those temperatures as opposed to, uh, being thrust into it and adapting to it and then having a body that's resilient, that's good at living in that environment. So I think the, the whole dawn of, or this, this plague of autoimmune disease, this epidemic of autoimmune diseases, because that's most of, I mean, that's a huge portion of what we're suffering with as a society is autoimmune problems. Uh, All from inflation, sorry, from inflammation. Exactly. Mostly from inflammation. You look at a person's sed rate or their inflammation rate and you find somebody who's, 50 times normal, there's something going on in the body. Yeah. Well, the body's attacking itself. Yep. In my case, it was attacking the cobalt. Right. In your case, it was attacking that screw. Right. But uh, again... Now what happens when it's like rheumatoid arthritis and exa- it's attacking, attacking your attacking, joints? Yeah. yeah. So you look at me and the, the hump on my back is caused from ankylosing spondylitis, which causes uh, arthritis and affects every muscle, every every system in your body, but particularly along the spine. And it causes the uh, ribs great pain to inhale and exhale. Mm. So it actually starts becoming painful to breathe. Right. It becomes painful to do anything. And we're not treating those things the way we used to. You know, the way that the native people use stinging nettle. You ever research stinging nettle and what that <laughs> stuff is capable of? I've had it. Uh, My goodness. I don't know if it's the same plant you're talking of, but... I was in a, I had an encounter with nettles and, oh, a, yeah. and an ayahuasca ceremony. Yeah, there you can get them now. Um, uh, yeah, you can get them in all sorts of It's like of a forms. branch with little spines. and. Yes, they sting. They, yeah. they have little sting. But if you roll them up with the nettle in and you eat them, they're incredibly oh, they're, healthy. So you're talking about taking them orally. Yeah. Interesting. You can get them in pill form now. You mm-hmm. can get them I've heard in of condensed. It, yeah. Heard of capsules and stuff. But I've started taking that, and that's actually been dropping my inflammation from so many orders of magnitude what it should be to oh yeah to back to more manageable met levels. Cool. And then the CBD hopefully helps too. Yeah, and the CBD, you know, we talk about the opiate-induced constipation. One of the most unpleasant side effects of the opiates, but the CBD, I don't have to take anything I don't else. think there's a, I, I've no, never noticed a side effect from taking it. No, and it helps keeps the bowels and the guts regular, and mm-hmm. I don't have to take any other meds. So once off the opiates, you know, down from 26 to, uh, I only take really legitimately three pharmaceuticals, uh, four, sorry, four, with any kind of regularity, and they're pretty irregular. Okay. But... 
Well, um, you mentioned the nonprofit. It's called Six for. It's called Sixes. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's new, but you're planning on trying to help as many people with absolutely post traumatic stress and things yeah. of that nature as as possible. Um, I definitely want to work with you and your wife. Um, We'd love that. And we want to get as many survivors of, of post-traumatic stress right. disorder, anything else, you know, into the float center and yeah. helping in any way that we can. So we'll figure out some sort of uh, program to make it affordable, yeah. um, give, give people like a discount and get people in the door and floating as soon as possible, as soon as the doors are open, you know, as soon as we can actually right. get floats run. But um, I look forward to, to being able to work with you yeah. guys on that. Well, 408 Works, the, uh, the tour company, uh, exists only to fund sixes. Okay. Sixes is to be 100% donated to, um, to people like you, to the other doctors working with PTS, to other people. We don't make a dime off of sixes. Just whatever we have to put in for running expenses, for vehicles, for yeah, yeah. whatever. Operating but out, costs. outside of that, we take zero profit. We don't take any management. We take nothing. And mostly we try to make the tour company pay for it all, and then they just donate it. So. That's, uh, that makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Well, <laughs> no, that's I, awesome. That it, really is. That's like a goal of mine. I want to actually yeah. set up a nonprofit in the future. So, uh, one step at a time, i got to build this business Absol- first. yeah. But yeah. once once I got this operating at a high capacity and occupancy, then I definitely, I mean, I, I don't want to stack a pile of gold. The second, you can't eat gold. Exactly. No, you, you really can't. And we've actually been contacted by the VA because there is such limited resources down here in this area. They keep asking me, when are you going to be up? When are you going to be up? When are you going to be up and running? When can we start sending you people? I'm like, ah, got a couple of surgeries I've got to get taken care of. But we've got uh, interest from the BLM. We're trying to get them out there volunteering. We're working with, um, uh, we're trying to help with prisons with recidivism, getting people out, getting people active, just doing good things, helping the environment, helping other people. Uh, we've got permits to go down all the way to the Grand Canyon and uh, basically make an impact. You know, get people connecting again, get people talking, get people organically connecting and get rid of the electronics get out there in the boonies. Yeah, we didn't even really talk about we didn't even really talk about the the aspect of floating of disconnecting from technology. Oh, and the, I think it's anti-stimulation, it. but it's a huge part of it. Yeah. Yeah. You, like we talked before, you walk into any room. When do you not see somebody on a device? Or when do you there not right see the majority the of people on the device exactly. now? It's getting to the point where it's it's ubiquitous. Uh, the, the art of conversation is lost. It's yeah. old farts like us who <laughs> yeah. keep this stuff going because I, we appreciate people. <laughs> this is secretly why I have a podcast now. It's just because <laughs> I want to talk to a human yeah. instead of a, yeah. through a screen. Yeah, that's really no, what I, it is. I, I feel you. But th- there is such a need. And, uh, you know, if you can do it, you should do it. If you can't, well, that's okay. But those who can, who can give, they should. I yeah. mean, that's their obligation, if you ask me as a human. You well, know, it's, you, and the thing about that is it, it's not, like like I mentioned before, it's not like you're giving a finite amount of no. something. It's you're giving only, gi- giving is actually giving to yourself. 
And that's how you have to see it. And I mean, that's why, like, I had this turnaround in, in my own sort of trajectory was because through different experiences, uh, like with psychedelics and whatnot, right. seeing others as yourself, seeing that yeah. like, there really is no real distinction. I mean, if you if you zoom out far enough, yeah. and like astronauts, I, I, mean, I talked about this with Tyler, but uh, the overview effect. If, mm -hmm. if you have an astronaut looking down at the Earth, they it's a it's this overwhelming feeling that they get. It's called the overview effect, where they see everything as one. And right. it's like we're all brothers we're all and sisters together. down here. Yeah, one big rock coming our way. Yeah, we're all fucked. Yep, yep. <laughs> Let's try to work it out together. Yeah, we don't need to fight amongst each other. Yeah, and it's 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 interesting from my perspective. I get to be the caregiver again, which is what I was built for. I hate being the patient, man. Being on the caregiver yeah. side again, that's. You know, that's that's my superhero quality. It's just right. caring and being there and having the ability to do something. I, I can see that very clearly because, I mean, I'm looking across at somebody who's been through every level of hell yeah. in this journey to get to where you're at now as far as physically and with all the pain and the trauma and the stress that you've had to go through. And you're still trying to help people. That's like, I can't, I, I can't, it's hard to... I mean, you could have easily rolled over and taken a victim role and, and given up and, you know. Believe me, I've thought about it more than once. I, I really have. But I am no victim. And as long as I've got breath, you know, what I've got, I'll, I'll give. And that's just, that's, just, that's just who I am. There's nothing special. It's just me. So I'm open to be able to do some good work. And I think this is... Uh, well, this is something I'm going to be taking advantage of, and uh, my family definitely, and anybody else I can turn on. Yeah, let's anyone that we can, uh, anyone listening, if if um, you know you want to know more, I'm going to have uh, by the time this airs, I'll have the website up, so I might sure. as well might as well uh, put it in here. But my website's going to be um, tnfloat.com. Okay. So that's tn is in True North. True North Float is the name of the business, but tnfloat.com and if you want to go there that'll give you uh there'll be some little bit of information on floating and you can throw your email in and stay up to date for when you know we have more information about when we're opening and yeah. also you know some early eventually you know i'll roll out some some offers for early early birds so that first cool. new first comers and 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 early movers are are going to be floating for super cheap so um but yeah, man, you're you're Very a hero, cool. and I'm no. really really pumped about you being here doing this conversation. I I was I telling Lily, my girlfriend, it was kind of kind of made an impact on me. Like we had our conversation um, when I met you, and then right away you texted me. You know, you really wanted to get together and do it, and and have the the podcast. And um, yeah, it was probably only like a week ago. Right? Yeah, we I yeah, it was uh, what was it? It was New Year's Eve. Yeah, yeah. What day is that's I don't right. Know what today it's is Monday. So it was, it was just just almost a week ago. Yeah. yeah. And so the fact that you were like all about making it happen. Yeah. And you have nothing. I really do want to. Nothing see this to gain it. from it other than yeah. just seeing people better off. Hopefully, right. Yeah, and I've got maybe a little selfish motivation. In I'm hoping <laughs> yeah. that it'll get me up and walking again. And yeah, that of would course. Be, that would be pretty insane. So. And um, what's what's powerful about this, I can already tell, is that down the road. We're going to do another podcast in the future. Oh, yeah. And we're going to be talking about how much better you feel. 
Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I think after we get it going, we'll get a few belt, a, a few under our belt, whatever you think. Take a look at me now, and then take a look at me then. Yeah, I mean we have all the before proof we yeah. need. You've yeah, got we got some all the pictures. gnarly, gnarly pictures, man. That that yeah. that spine surgery and those burns is ugh, intense. Yeah, you're a survivor. Yeah, it, it it absolutely is. But you know. I don't know why I'm here. They've been trying to kill me off for 48 years, and no one's ever managed to do it. So I <laughs> well, guess I'm going to be around for a while. Yeah, good, because we need you. All right, Alan. Thanks, man. Hey, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate you having me. <laughs>